for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. It's said that you learn a lot about yourself when you get punched in the face. After Andrew Craig's first amateur fight, he was hooked. And that is not just a boxing pun, it is the truth. This week's guest found jiu-jitsu and eventually MMA in college and successfully trained his way all the way to the UFC. This is a pretty rare achievement even for the most accomplished of athletes. Plenty of fight talk for the MMA enthusiast in this week's episode. Here it is, episode 551. Hey, Power Nation! I want to introduce you to our good friends at Thorne Nutrition. Thorne makes the best supplements I've taken, and I'm just not saying that for any other reason other than it's being the truth. Um, I got into the supplement game a long time ago through, you know, if you guys have listened to the podcast, George Zangus, Marathon Nutrition, and, uh, you know, creatine and protein and some other things. And uh, supplements have always been important through all the blood testing and uh, trying to optimize micronutrients in the system through blood work. And every time I would go work with uh, Cosenta and Tom Inkladon, whenever he would say, hey, these are the supplements I want you to take. This is where you're deficient. Thorne was always the default. And this is long before we ever met them mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to connect with him through Sornex. And, have, and then reach out to them and make them a you know sponsor of the of the collective and the symposiums and just really just create a, a really excellent relationship. And the reason being is we take the supplements daily. I, uh, my wife takes them, my kids take them, and I am by far uh, one of Thorne's biggest fanboys. Uh-huh. Gut kits as well. So get some feedback on our gut health, which has well, been pretty interesting. Yeah, especially when you have vitamin A toxicity. Well, there's one way to find out. It's poop in a cup. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, funny story. Uh, Tex listened to, uh, I think it was Rhonda Patrick who talked about eating liver, which is, you know, uh, a good idea. Tex took it a little far, started consuming two to four ounces of liver daily. And then we, through Thorne, ended up getting some gut work done and pretty figured out that uh, he was just bypassing his entire crib cycle. And even though he was eating carbohydrates, was totally ketogenic. And was dealing with vitamin A toxicity. Quick way to lose LDs. <laughs> so it was uh, beneficial because we were like, what the fuck are you doing? And we figured out that Tex took the prescription. It reminds me of when Zangus originally gave his creatine. <laughs> he told us you got to take 25 grams a day. Or I'm sorry, 25 grams a serving five times a day. By the end of that day, uh, I could hardly walk from the GI distress and from the pain in the stomach. Did you 25 grams a serving? Like a- Yeah, it was five tablespoons five times a day. So we pretty much did the five week loading in one day. Nice. And needless to say, I went out to try to run and it was like somebody stabbing knives into my stomach. Well, So it's important that when somebody does some supplement recommendations or what, that it has to be very clearly out. These are the amounts you take. Like like this sleep remedy what, that they have right now, here. This they, new one. They got some cool effusion tech here. That I could demo. Essentially, it's a single serving of your supplementation recommendation. And you know what? You can't mess it up. Just take one. You don't have to take the whole box, which is what I would have done. Uh, also true. Yeah. So, yeah, you can either, I guess, put this guy in a little water bottle or just take it to the face. Yeah. That's what's just like how we roll. But, uh, you know, all kidding aside and all jokes, um, Thorne has been a cornerstone of not only my nutrition and my supplement routine, for a lot of years uh, after, you know, working, like I said, working with Dr. Inkledon and taking other brands and then going back and getting tested and not seeing noticeable changes. Uh, the one thing that's really nice about Thorne is you get what's in the package. It's the highest level tested. And I think if you're going to spend money on supplements, uh, Thorne's the only way to go. So if you're interested to see what I take, 
You can go to thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. It's thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. We'll have those in the show notes. And you also get 20% off. So you'll see the supplement stack, the stuff I recommend, and the stuff that I'm taking. And uh, if you wanna if you wanna buy in, you'll get a 20% discount. On anything. On anything. Not just the stuff in our in our cart, but if you're interested in what we're taking, you can check it out at thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. And um, if you wanna enjoy the episode. Yeah. Now tune in to Power Athlete Radio and the magical uh, angelic voices of Mr. McQuilkin and myself. So Yeah, well, Andrew, Craig, and I grew up in the mean streets of the Rummel Creek mm-hmm. Elementary School. West Houston is a tough place to go, man. Yes. Yeah, it's like the mean streets of Palos Verdes where I grew up. It's just a real tough, tough place. Exactly. Yeah, man. And all I remember from growing up, a lot of football. And then I, I have no idea where the jujitsu and the combat sports came into play. So I, I wasn't good enough at football. I was like, I got to be good I, at something. Well, yeah. he, he wanted more male contact with less clothes. That was it. Oh, that explains everything. Yeah, it makes, yeah. makes total sense now. I'm not yeah. jerseys, pads. No, let's take just, it off. Let's just yeah, really get into yeah, it. Yeah, let's just yeah. get weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew, man, take take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. And well, let's, we got a couple hours to dive yeah. into whatever the hell we want. Okay. okay. So, yeah, if you, yeah. We'll, we'll go over the story. Give us like the I'll, hero's yeah, journey. I'll like, I want to know the hero's journey. I'll like, give you, you uh, were, you know, Tex was beating you up in elementary school. Uh, definitely <laughs> not. You had this fucking, you know, fire, this chip on your shoulder. That you know uh, spawned into. You well, know, it was like it was like I, <clears throat> I was always athletic growing up. Played all the sports, right? Um, and like that's something that you play every sport growing up, like sure. bat, football, basketball, baseball, even yeah. you know roller hockey, soccer, everything, right? Yeah, track. Well, I played roller hockey too, yeah. which uh, you know I'm a, a little embarrassed to admit, but uh, we used to play uh, street hockey with our buddies and fucking try to kill each other. Yeah, no, I loved it. That was uh, one of my favorite sports we did. And then my favorite was at night we would dip the balls in gasoline. And we would set the tennis ball on fire and we'd play fucking fireball at night, which uh, now I think about it. I'm like, I can't fucking believe they let us do that. We didn't fucking burn the whole neighborhood down. So. I don't think they let you. you well, did it. we never asked permission for yeah. anything. Yeah. And then we used to hit them at cars and then think we could skate away. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> all right. Fireball sounds dope. Yeah. yeah, you guys never did that. You no, took we never ball. did that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was we either were, WD we forty or gasoline. No, we couldn't do that. We're in West Houston. That's not that's that's frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. We played at the roller rink. Oh. Um. So yeah, I did the football track thing. Um. High school never excelled too much. Went to college and did a great goddamn job playing beer pong and doing the frat thing. And um, it was then that I really got inundated with jujitsu and martial arts. My cousin, this is kind of the he's kind of the driving factor. He, um, when I was in high school, he was a little older than me. He was living in Brazil. He had started doing jujitsu. He's like, there's like four cousins, like me and my brother and my two cousins. And there's like a pie chart. Travis got the biggest fucking piece of athleticism, right? He's like the man. And so he had this uh, like huge talent and he got kind of sponsored to go down there by uh, some guy who was teaching his son's private lessons. Send to Brazil, like Travis, you're too good to be training in Texas right now where there's not much jujitsu going on. Go down there. He lived in Rio for a couple of years. Um, have you ever been to Brazil? I have. I fought in Sao Paulo, then went to Rio for a week and hung out. Yeah, <laughs> I spent a whole month in Brazil for uh, for Carnival. Oh, nice. Yeah, we, okay. we started in Bahia, and then we went to Rio, and then down to Florinopolis. So I, I got a chance to see the whole country. It's amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> I learned to how to say two things. Go up to girls and say, Fala English, just to you know, see mm-hmm. if we can have a conversation. And also, um, 
Kato Uma Gahafa Jayagua Sengaish because I wanted a bottle of non-carbonated water. Mm. And that was the thing, yeah. I remember Pala de Queijo, which were the cheese breads. Yeah. And I remember the Abrigado, which is basically fucking, you know, thank you. Right. Yeah. And it's different. It's, it's interesting how the how the dialect changes from like uh, Sao Paulo to Rio. Yeah. Like uh, Sao Paulo de Agua, Rio, Jayagua. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, uh, and, and what's crazy is uh, even more than the language is the people. So Bahia in the north, like I, I've never in my life seen uh, like the variants of people that I've seen that I saw in Rio. Like I remember we seeing like like black girls with like blonde hair and green eyes. I mean, you see like a white girl like with like kinky hair and you're just like, what is going on? And I, I, we asked somebody, I'm like, what's going on here? And the guy made a, he's like, imagine a big pot where everybody just has sex for a long time and you just get anything that you, you know, like we basically called it like the Russian roulette of like, of, uh, of offspring. Beautiful people. Well, it, it's just because like so many cultures, they had an indigenous culture, they had slave culture, they had um, Argentinian, you know, uh, Portuguese, they had all these different European cultures all came in and he said, everybody just humped until we got a, <laughs> we got a lot of weird shit going. And uh, you could see it, man. Like, like to like the, the mixes of people that you would see were like, oh my God, this is insane looking. And it, I mean, it was super cool to see. Yeah, it was a cool spot. I was still, I fought in Sao Paulo, so I got to Rio and I'm still rocking my cornrows because I had long hair and I'd get cornrowed up for fights. And um, my cousin was like, dude, if you hit the beach, you got to wear a sunga. Nobody wears regular bathing suits. Yeah. I was like, fuck, okay. I went and got a sunga. Which and is I, a Speedo. It's a or Speedo. Or boy shorts. Yeah. Like, and like go, not total banana hammock, like a little longer on the side. It's a little longer. Yeah. yeah. But like but there are some dudes that straight up rock like the banana hammock. You're still showing a lot of leg. There's a lot of skin. <laughs> and you walk around on the beach and all of a sudden I'm like, Travis, what the fuck? Nobody's wearing a sunga. I was the only one on the beach he got you good. I was like, yeah, I guess maybe it changed a few years ago or whatever it was. That's but awesome. yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so yeah, Cuzzo, he comes back. Cousin comes back, man, and he um he starts training out of out of my uncle's garage. And so he's this is my between my freshman and sophomore year of college. The only here summer, in Austin? Houston. Only Houston. summer I went home from UT, went back to Houston, and I trained with him for the summer like two months. Just got my ass kicked, but I was like after that I was pretty hooked. And then from there on out, I started watching all the fights and just looking this shit up constantly online. I was just like obsessive with it, you know? But I wasn't training that much. I was back in school and I was like, I was going like a couple times a week, but I wasn't serious about it. I was more serious about watching it and being a fan of it. And uh, towards the end of college, I started like dabbling more. I started boxing a little bit, kickboxing a little bit. And then um, when I graduated, graduated with the most pointless degree, I don't even know if they still have it at UT, corporate communications. It sounds, it sounds awesome. A lot of older guys in the frat were graduating corporate communications, going to real estate, making all this money. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good degree. But by the time I got done, I was like, I don't want to do anything in the real world. I got to try this fighting thing. So I had that that conversation with my father, like, um, you know, that every dad wants to hear after they send their son <laughs> to college and, and pay for everything and pay for the frat. And their son comes back and goes, pops, what I actually want to do now is fight for no money at all. And he's like, my dad was super cool about it. He goes, all right, well, come live with me. Uh, you're not going to make any money. So, you know, I'll help you out and um, just follow this like it's a full-time job. So I did, man. I just, it was like something I just, I was obsessed with it and I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to be a part of it. And um, so after that, I moved back to Houston, got my least favorite job I've ever had in my life, 24-hour fitness. Fucking terrible. And I started training constantly. And um, so that was fall of 2008. By 
spring of 2009, early 2009, I was having my first amateur fight. And I, I started out just, I want to do one fight. I just got to see how it goes. I got to feel this. And after one, I was hooked. And I did three more that year, all amateur fights. I went 4-0 in 2009. Uh, started going pro in 2010. Uh, rattled off six wins and was in the UFC by 2012. And so it was a really fast um, trajectory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, middleweight? Um, with I did middleweight, yeah. Which is funny now because I used to walk around like 200 pounds. And I would cut a little bit of weight. Now I'm not lifting that much. I'm not working out as hard. I'm like walking around 185 pounds now. Um, so yeah, I did middleweight and I was a small middleweight. So by fight time, I was usually cutting down from like 194, whereas these other guys at middleweight by fight night. So I'm I'm usually 194 back on fight night, 194, 195. I thought that was a big deal. I was like, dude, I put on 10 pounds. All right. But I knew nothing about weight cutting, knew nothing about the science of the hydration and the sauna and all that kind of shit. So most of the guys I was fighting were usually 210, 215, 220. They were fucking monsters. And so, yeah, I did uh, seven fights to the UFC. Now I'm coaching guys. Uh, last fight was 2015. And, man, it's just been like the coolest thing that I've done because I traveled the world. I hit Australia, Brazil, Manchester, Abu Dhabi. Made a ton of awesome friends. I feel like I've got connections all over the world now. I got good bullshit forever. Yeah. Everybody always wants to talk to the guy that, oh, you used to fight. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got my cousin. Does you know, I'm not as high level as I did though, right? You know. So I'm um, doing a podcast with y'all talking about this shit. It's been a great. It's been a great journey. Nice. Yeah. So then, what do you do? Now I do two things. I work for Onnit in the marketing department. So um, I got that gig. My last fight in the UFC, I had changed things up. I moved to Austin. I was going to change weight classes, go to 170 uh, because the guys at 85 were too big. I got a couple of new co- – I was still using my cousins as my grappling coach. I got a new striking coach in Austin, and I was, uh, I was sponsored by Onnit at the time. And so Aubrey, uh, the founder of Onnit, was helping me out. One of the one of the components of fighting is like that mental side, and I didn't give it as much credence early on. But once you start losing, you start to look for anything you can to get back on track. And so for me, that was okay, man. Why am I losing these fights? I'm just as good physically, um, technically. Something I'm not. Something's not clicking in my mind. I'm not performing the way that I have in the past. So I went through a few different um, like mental sport psychology coaches, I guess. And I was never really pleased with that many of them. And for the most part, it's all the same thing. They're trying to get you to have this uh, belief in yourself. And it's just all visualization, right? And so uh, for this last fight, I enlisted Aubrey to help me out with that. And it was hugely helpful. Um, I still lost the fight. I had a fairly good showing. But um, after the fight, you know, three losses in a row in the FC. That's never good. I don't know. Okay, my journey is kind of coming to an end. Do I want to continue doing this? By this point, that was all I had done from 2008 until 2000, for like the past seven years. I was, I was a little burnt out. And so I got done. I knew I was getting fired. And Aubrey said, hey, man, we got something for you on it. At the time, there was uh, this chick on it. She taught yoga and did some other stuff on it. But she was the main liaison, the main communication with all the fighters that we were sponsoring. So it didn't make a lot of sense for her to be that position. So we put me in that position. And from there, I started um, signing more time. We only had like a few UFC guys. Mm-hmm. And then so I started signing some boxers, uh, kickboxers, Muay Thai fighters. For instance, like Errol Spence Jr. We were on Errol Spence's trunks for a couple of his biggest 
come up fights where they were finally um, being televised. We had on it right on the uh, right on the waistband. Errol Spence is not like a guy that uses supplements, but you know we were paying a little bit of money. We got on these awesome Showtime cards. Being on Spence, I mean, one of the biggest boxers today, right now, right? Sure. Um, started signing other guys like uh, NASCAR drivers, uh, PGA golfers, all that sort of stuff. And so that's my position on it is um, keeping communication with all the people that we sponsor, people, influencers, if you will, pros, uh, stuff like that. The other thing that I do at 10th Planet is I coach uh, kickboxing, boxing, mixed martial arts, and we've got a huge young squad, like 20 to 25 years old, guys that are just hungry, driven, um, with way better social habits than I had at that age. You know, they're, <laughs> they aren't partying, they aren't doing anything that. They've got like eye on the prize, wanna be fighters. Um, not wanna be fighters, they want to be fighters and they are fighters. And um, so right now I'm kind of leading the charge right there, kind of being like, um, these guys can look at me and see what I've done and it's easy for them to trust what I'm telling them, which is a, which is a cool thing to be in this leadership position. Cause a lot of time I still think of myself as like way younger than I am, as I'm sure this happens to you sometimes like, I'm 35, fuck. You know, sometimes I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm just like you guys. Oh wait, no, y'all are 25, no, okay. Uh, so I'm leading the, leading the charge on this along well, with- you don't um, realize until they say something. Exactly. Because in, like, in, in, in my head, I still think the same way and somebody say something, you're like, wait, how the fuck old are you? Yeah. Like, well, uh, it, like I wasn't alive during September 11th. You're like- They say that? Uh, I've heard that before. When we would do the military thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were going and working a bunch with the military and like these kids were like, you know, I mean, they legitimately- weren't alive or the kid was like oh i'm uh i i you know i i was in Read kindergarten about that in a book uh <laughs> i was in kindergarten when that happened and you're like uh i was in the nfl and watched that from the training room how <laughs> fucking old are you no i'll drop like a reference like, you know like like fresh prince reference but but, but you know and the, you know the handshake and that will smith does psh, nobody gets it. nobody knows what the fuck i'm talking about They're super all, troopers even, is also a marker that kids just yeah ah uh, yeah that too. Um, or like I'll play a song and somebody's like, coach, who is this? I'm like, it's, it's Led Zeppelin. You, you got you don't know who Led Zeppelin, you know, yeah, these right. kids don't know what the fuck's going on. And uh, so I made a post actually recently. I was like, all my, um, all my nineties fighters. And I had one reach back out to me, coach, I'm 2000. I was like, geez, cats are young right now. Or I'm old. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I think eventually everybody gets the, the chance to feel old. Yeah, no. And, and what's hilarious? I mean, it's true, hundred uh, percent. And then the problem is, is that anybody that ever fucking rides you on it, you're like, hey, you know what? Uh, time is gonna fix this motherfucker. <laughs> you, you know, like because you hear like, ah, oh, you know, like they uh, these dipshit kids being like, yeah, whatever, boomer. I'm like, right. You'll fucking be there one day. It'll and you'll understand. And I was that kid. I always made fun of like my older friends. They're like the older guys that I trained with. Like, oh man, yeah, I've got your hurt because you're fucking old. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna happen. And then. Boom. Next thing you know, you're old. Yeah, it gets all of us. Uh, do you have kids? I don't. Uh, so when you have kids, uh, hopefully one day in the future when you have them, uh, or if you don't, who doesn't matter. But like, uh, it's pretty interesting. Like going through this thing when you realize, you're like, like my daughter should turn ten next week, and being like, "Fuck, you guys are a decade old." <laughs> all right, this is fucking getting weird. Yeah, yeah. Got three more decades on them. Yeah, yeah. Like you little bastards. <laughs> No, they're, uh, but it's, uh, you know, I, ideally having kids keeps you kind of young because I'm exposed to a whole bunch of stuff uh, that I would never be exposed to. I feel the same way with coaching, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just being around all these young cats all the time. Like we had a, um, we had fights in College Station. And so we took all these cats to College Station. Uh, I think we did, we might have won like all four. We did really good. 
And then, so I'm, I'm like, I feel like the chaperone or something. We went to <laughs> Dixie what, Chicken. You're like the yeah. dad. You're like taking them out for food. Like, oh, this yeah. kids, don't worry. We went to what's the uh, college stations like equivalent of Sixth Street. It's, it's like North. It's, I think it's called Northgate. We went to Northgate. And we're going to all these college bars and I'm just like trying to keep my eye on all the kids. Like, okay, come on guys, we're going to the next bar. We're going to the next bar. And these fucking, they're going crazy. And it was, it, it felt, it felt strange. Yeah. As it should. Yeah. 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 No, I, uh, uh, when I played for the chiefs, so I probably would have been in like my late twenties, I think it was 27, 28. Uh, we got invited to go out to, um, well, one of the guys I was playing with started dating one of the girls from KU which was already weird. So they invited us to come out and we got a chance to go to a college bar and I'd been to a college bar in years. So I show up with like Jared Allen and all those guys to this college bar and all of a sudden the fucking like music stops and they're like, holy fuck, these are all like Kansas City Chief starters. Those guys are 30. Yeah, those, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we were in our like middle, like uh, like late, like later 20s and my buddy goes over and basically just takes like a wad of cash and is like lock the door, throws the cash up and he's like, free drinks for everybody. <laughs> these fucking kids about lost their minds. It was fucking, it was pretty epic. Where, so, all, where all did you play? Um, I played, I, I grew up in Southern California, played at Berkeley, uh, and then uh, got drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles. So I played there for five years, and then I got, I uh, went to the Kansas City Chiefs, and I was there for four, and then my 10th year for the Patriots, and I ended up getting hurt, and then came home. And We, uh, we O-line? Yeah, offensive line. Nice. So there's a picture of me, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I was just, uh, I hung out with, uh, what was it, played golf with my dad the other day at UT. And afterward, we're playing uh, bags, like cornhole. And this huge dude comes up. He's like, I got next game. I end up, he whoops my ass. I'm like, this guy's he's not your regular dude. Huge. I talked to him. He's Corey Redding, played at Texas, then played in the NFL for 13 years. I'm like, oh, wow. looking at you, like 10 years, 13 years. That's a fucking run in the NFL. I mean, most guys, just like the UFC, it's like, what do they call it? A cup of coffee or something, yeah. right? Yeah, you show up and it's get like a, cup a, of a couple of years, maybe. Well, it's one of those jobs where either you can or you can't. Yeah. So, like, when they say three years is the minimum, it's super, uh, like, it, it's not accurate. So, dudes either show up and you can play. And if you can play from day one, you play for a while. And if you can't, you're out of there really quick. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I remember seeing young guys come in. And they would always be like, hey, what do you think? I'm like, I think this kid's going to play. I think he's a player. Just like I'm sure in fighting too. Sure. You see a guy come in first time. And if he can fight and he has all the intangibles, if uh, if he keeps it together and doesn't fucking go John Jones on people. Right, right. Uh, which is another one I was going to, I was excited to talk to you about. How many fucking chances does a guy get? Mm. Like, I'm like, uh, is it because, I mean, like he's a fucking talent. Like, don't get me wrong. I think dude. he's getting the chances because he's got the GOAT status or, you know, at least one of the best ever status. Yeah, I mean, I mean he, dude, he's uh, hands down. He's yeah. uh, he's an excellent fighter, but it's not like he's fucking Anderson Silva. I mean, he like there are other people that I would. What's that? That's a bold take. I I mean, he's good, but like I like Top like two? man, I don't know. I I don't know if I put. I mean, do you put him it, in that highest name? I do. I mean, Anderson's my number one though. I got a cool story about Anderson. Is um when I was getting into this fighting, my 21st birthday, my dad took my brother and I to Vegas, my first ever live UFC fights. And um, it was right when the Pride guys came over to the UFC. Mm -hmm. So Crow Cop was on the card, uh, Rampage was on the card, and Anderson Silva headlined and fought Travis Luter for the title, beat Travis Luter. And um, so that was, I was 21, that was like 2003 or something. 2013, I fought on a card and Anderson Silva was the headliner. Oh, wow. So I went and saw him back when I was a young man, fought on the card. I think I was maybe 27, 28 by that point. 
And that was when he got uh, knocked out by Weidman. Okay. But even even so, he's still like my all-time. Dude, he's... Uh, yeah. uh, uh, so Fedor is by far, I think, still one of my most favorite fighters. Sure. Uh, Crow Cop ended up uh, shattering my boy Bob Sapp's orbital. Yeah. <laughs> so Bob is one of my oldest friends. Really? Yeah, he was, he was in my wedding. Uh, that's how long I've known what? Bob. What? Yeah. So, yeah, so which is hilarious because he uh, he lives in Thailand now and uh, he invited us to go over and stay with him because he uh, owns like a wildcat preserve. Like, he's a fucking absolute fucking insane, insane person. I love him. Um, I mean, that dude was as, as big as it, not, not, not physically, but, but as a star in Tokyo, dude, as I, big as it gets. I was in Japan with Bob and dude, we were riding in a taxi and somebody fucking recognized him and there was a, literally a riot. <laughs> like we had to run into it. Like it, like it's. How does a dude like that fit in a taxi? Uh, very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, Bob is. Uh, yeah. But like Krokov, uh packed his glove because he he was nervous about fighting oh, Bob. No so, way. So he packed and weighted his glove, and so when he hit him and he shattered shattered Bob's orbital, they went back and they fucking cut his glove and found out he had. Uh, I think it was either super glue or rubber. I, I forgot what they were. What he weighted his glove with. Nobody talks about that. Well, no, because they just paid. That's happens in pride. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they sure. they just it's, they kept it quiet and they just gave Bob his money and, uh, and they don't come out. So they don't like want any fucking disgrace. Like sure. they're not looking for that. So everything's fine. They just basically gave Bob. And so Bob's like, I got his money. And I was like, why well, didn't say anything? He's like, cause they don't want to lose face. Cause well, then it looks like he cheated, but he didn't get any money for that fight. I mean, Bob's like the all time, like, Hey, take this fight, Bob. And we don't care how long or well, last 30 seconds for us. Well, the, the thing. And, and, uh, I, I remember asking Bob about that once was, um, well, I was like, dude, what's going on? He's like, I'm just telling you this. The paycheck's bigger when I lose. Really? And I asked him, he's like, he's like, if I win, I get X. And yeah. he goes, if I lose, I get double X. And I was like, so what does that mean? He's like, well, I don't really care how it goes. I just go out there. <laughs> he goes, I'm going out to win. But if I don't win, I'm okay too. Man, because I've seen him like, I mean, one of my, like he fought Ernesto Hoos, yeah, you yeah. know, he's, he's fought some of the Dude, biggest names. Uh, unbelievable. And then all of a sudden he's fighting and, uh, and like somebody hits him with something and he kind of, uh, and you're like, no, no, you're just not done. Keep uh, going. And, and he is, uh, he's as tough a dude. I'm sure. Yeah. So, so like some of that stuff, like, like when, uh, when Krokop fucking shattered his orbital, that legitimately, like, and they, uh, cause I asked him like, what the fuck? That guy one punched you. Yeah. He's like, you fucking shattered my face. <laughs> and I was like, how the fuck did he break that big melanie? Or he's yeah. like, he waved his glove. Well then, um, and then like when he fought Hoost, like he beat Hoost, yeah. but couldn't continue in the tournament because Hoost fucked his leg up so yeah. much, right? Yeah. yeah, man. Oh, dude, no, Bob. Uh, yeah. uh, but yeah, uh, sorry, we got off on the uh, um, Anderson Silva, dude. I, I still to this day, uh, Croak, um, uh, Fedor, who is by far like just the calm, cool, and collected silent assassin, yeah. like like kind of lunchy, a little out of shape, gets out there like zero emotion and just goes out and fucking smashes. Looks people. a little pudgy, yeah, but has that knockout power. No, when he started losing, that was like when my world kind of got turned upside down because he he came over to uh, Strike Force and fought uh, Verdum and got triangled. And you're like, what the heck? And then next fight, I think he lost to Bigfoot Silva. Then he lost to Dan Henderson. He lost big three fights in a row, and it was kind of um, earth shattering when you think somebody is like that invincible. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, um, like, uh, dude, yeah, the, the hard thing I have with John Jones is like, uh, like, I don't care how great you are at some point, like you stop getting opportunities because you can't fucking handle your life. Right, right. And then it's like, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, is this, is this behavior something because, I mean, it's obviously drug induced, but there is there something bigger going on? Like, is it a, a concussion CTE is or, you know, whatever it looks like. I, I mean, mean <clears throat> eventually yeah. you become too big an asshole. I think it's cocaine. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, says Rick James, bitch. 
I think I think with uh, John Jones is yeah he gets he, he he drinks too much he parties too much and um, I think somebody was just comparing this because somebody was asking uh, the other Tenth Planet coach and he was talking about when uh, all the Roman soldiers came back after years of being out there Caesar put them all in jail because you can't have guys that have been like well you can't have a standing army like that you, yeah, yeah been out like raping and pillaging and just killing come back to a civilized society. Yeah. And I feel like John Jones is that. I mean, that's like how he's programmed. And so then he gets fucked up and yeah, has a domestic dispute. Yeah, it's but too I mean, bad, man. he's got to have enough uh, enough handlers and enough people around him. You would think, right? Well, I mean, because think about it. I mean, he's not getting to these fights, you know? I mean, it, it, like, like he has legitimate huge opportunities there and he's fucking pissing them away for drugs. Yeah. And so like that's the shit I have a hard time with. Okay, so um, this is my bigger question is, who's the more athletic family? The Joneses with Chandler, Arthur, and John or the Watts? Oh, bias Watt. Big Watt guy. <sighs> big Watt guy. Okay. I'm yeah. not a, TJ, I'm, Derek, I'm, I'm and JJ, right? I'm not a big JJ right? Watt fan. Okay. Uh, mainly because I couldn't stand the way couldn't John- Couldn't stop him. Well, yeah. no. <laughs> so the way John Gruden would fucking just basically just polish the knob and smash it in his mouth every time fucking JJ Watt did anything, like even walking <laughs> on the field. Like it, it was it, like I couldn't stand Gruden's fucking ass kissing. Like, oh my god, look at JJ Watt walk on the field. He would literally the entire Monday Night Football when JJ Watt was there, he would start kissing his ass from the minute he walked off the bus. Well, that's the only player Texans had. I know, but it was just, it, it tight was, end, defensive end, all around just MVP. It's well, amazing. and the uh, the fact that they would he would just give him so much accolade, and uh, like they never won a championship. Uh, like, it, it, what's that? I mean, when you win, like, <laughs> if you're going to win Defensive Player of the Year, you better at least have your team in the fucking playoff hunt. Oh, no, they made the playoffs. This is the beauty of AFC South. Anything can happen. Yeah, it's fucking garbage. It's like the NFC East. So, uh, but I would, I don't know, I, I got a hard one, but I will definitely probably go with the Watt Brothers. Word, yeah. yeah. Chandler Jones had a hell of a season. At five sacks the other day. Dude, Arthur's, Arthur's got a ring. Does Chandler have a ring? Chandler's got a ring with the Patriots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who John Jones' brothers? Uh-huh. Oh, championship or athletically? Uh, yeah, no, but... Uh, no, I'm uh, sorry, uh, athletically. Just think yeah. about this in terms of pay. Uh, if you look at Ooh, like like the amount Watts. of money, I mean, it was like the Watts brothers have been paid as the best football players to fucking play uh, the game. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I would just go purely on cumulative salaries. They're okay. fucking, they're crushing it. Well, they, they've revolutionized. They've changed some of the game. I won't say revolutionized because I can see that look in your eye. But <laughs> John Jones has changed some of the form of fighting have his brothers contributed that to football have they no not at all no no uh, I'll, I'll tell you this uh i couldn't um i know who his brothers are and i couldn't i could not distinguish who they were on the field like they're good but they're not fucking the type of people where you're like can we get that sound bite charles the, they're not jj watt they're no i said they're not the stir that straws the drink like okay. they're good players, but they're are, are they hall of fame like I, I would say the watt brothers have a chance to legitimately have fucking all have bus and can not all, just the two. Yeah, just the two. Yeah. Yeah. So, which, which would be fucking incredible. But uh, I don't know. I mean, like, here's the thing. Their brothers play, his brothers play in the NFL. So they're used to like, a, like uh, fucking, the NFL's hard riding. Like, I mean, dude, it's uh, a big party. It's the whole deal. I can't only imagine the fight game. But like to have older brothers that are in a similar lifestyle and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that's the thing that I'm wondering about is like, so his young his, his, Chandler's a younger brother. I think John's in the middle and his older yeah. brother, Arthur, played for the Ravens, retired already. But 
were they getting any that, any that kind of bullshit, or is well, it just so so the, 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 the NFL thing. you only get uh, drug tested once a year right. for street drugs, and it's in the off season, and you about know the date. So right. like if you get popped for street drugs, like I think one year I got what uh, tested thirty six times uh for performance enhancers wow you only get street tested once gotcha gotcha so like and, and you about know the date so i mean i played with dudes that legitimately smoked pot every day yeah and before every game and they just knew that they had to have like about a month of a window where they had to be clean so they would i don't know what however voodoo they would work sure. to get clean and then they would fucking basically do that and then so guys could party all the time um, I mean, dude, I know I, I played with a dude I know was fucking popping ecstasy after the games, or, you know, so I mean, dudes were doing a lot of partying. Uh, so it's kind of inconceivable to get caught. So when dudes do like, I think they have a real fucking problem. No, I, I remember talking having a conversation with um, uh, I, I used to work out with him in Houston or not work out with him. We had the same strength coach. Um, Brian Robinson, who played at Texas, played mm-hmm. for the Vikings for a long time. Actually, one time I remember <clears throat> I got way more athletic when I started. I was like, I was good at fighting, but I didn't like, I feel like I hadn't like reached my athletic potential. So I started going to a, like an actual athletics coach, you know, like learned how to run better, quick feet, the whole, the whole thing. And um, at a certain point, man, I would got like, I was doing big broad jumps, big verticals, big box jumps. I was feeling really fucking athletic. And I remember one time I was doing these broad jumps. I'm like, dude, I'm really clearing some fucking ground right now. And uh, my coach goes, man, that's as far as B-Rob. I go, Get out of town. He goes, yeah. But he's going off one leg. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. But anyway, B-Rob is telling me, he's the same, same thing. Um, everybody knows when you're going to get tested. So if you're failing for pot or something like or that. Or for like, weed or for drugs yeah, or for coke or any of that shit. Then you fucking, you, you're doing it wrong. Well, and the other wild one too is um, uh, because the teams prescribe opiates. Uh, if you get drug tests and you have opiates in the system, if they prescribed you, you're fucking get a pass. So uh, they prescribe opiates. Oh yeah, they. I mean, um, do they hand that shit out like breath mints? Now, <laughs> now it's a little bit different. Yeah, um, they probably have to have a schedule. But before they hand that shit out like breath mints. Wow. So guys used to get. Uh, oh well, they. You know, hey, I need an exemption. And sure. So like that shit always happened, but uh, yeah, like that. So I think who knows? Maybe his brothers are big partiers. Uh, you know, I'm, I've, I don't know those guys personally, so I can't say anything. Right. Um, but I would imagine if, uh, if I was doing my job and my brother was a fighter and he was having these issues, I think that we'd have to have a come to Jesus moment or just fucking be like, Hey man, you're not going to live in Vegas. Sure. Like we're going to go somewhere like a deserted fucking Island where you're going to train and, uh, coconuts are about all you get. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he lives in Albuquerque. He lives in like, but he's been training in Vegas. Well, I think he was only in Vegas for that, uh, hall of fame induction ceremony. No. Cause he's been training with Stan Efferding. Okay. And Stan's in Vegas and Stan came in. So I don't know if Stan went out to New Mexico or whatever, but I know that he's been posting a bunch of videos, a bunch of training stuff. And I assumed it was in Vegas. Gotcha. For I just, nutrition or was he uh, like... Strength coaching. Yeah, mm-hmm. nutrition, strength coaching. He was getting them. And yeah, Stan's a fucking strong motherfucker. So, um, but I, I like, I just, uh, like, like... It's almost like a, um, it's like I, a Josh Gordon thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I think uh, it, like... Uh, a lot of this stuff is intelligence tests, right? Like, I mean, he he knows that he's in the fucking drug program. He knows that he's been deemed as a, uh, a high-risk individual. So he has to assume every single day that some dude's not going to take his fucking piss. Yeah. I mean, like, he, you know, the Nevada Boxing Commission. I mean, all those guys, they're not fucking around. So, like, at this point, he's such a high-risk dude that, like, uh, like there's no, uh, like, it, it has to be a problem. 
like he legitimately has to have some form of uh, of fucking addiction where it's like, okay, and if that's the case, then he needs help more than he needs fighting. Yeah. And so uh, a big question that I have is, who's a better heavyweight than him? I mean, we haven't seen him fight at heavyweight. Yeah, we've only seen him what at uh, just uh, at light heavy. At yeah. what two hundred five? Two hundred five. Yeah. So yeah. I really, I mean, that's that's what we want to see is him versus Ngannou or him versus whoever the current yeah. champ is. You know, Cyril Gain or either of those guys. But the, the big money fight for a while was Ngannou. But <clears throat> my question with a guy like John Jones is: is his wild hair? Is his craziness? One of the things that makes him such a good fighter. Now, if all of a sudden he's this tamed down version, he's come to Jesus, Zen, John. First of all, dude, you will know, he, will dude, he be, uh, still be the savage? Your propensity to snort cocaine isn't your deciding factor <laughs> in whether or not you're a fucking savage or not. All right, that just means that uh, you like cocaine. Yeah, um, like like how it smells. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. Like uh, the issue I always had with uh, with you know, and I, and I don't know if this is true or not, but um, I know this from. People have been around, but on blow, you can't hoist your sail. So you can't get a hard on. <laughs> so seem like not a very, I mean, it, like, like, uh, okay. So if you're going to go out and party with a bunch of really beautiful girls that really like that stuff and like, that's, I don't know, what do you, then you got to pop a bunch of Viagra or something. Choose a different drug of choice. Yeah. Like I'm going to sit back and sip this Red Bull so uh, who I can slay all these fucking girls. Who is the punter? That gave you Lendetta. The, Lendetta. Just Lendetta. Dude, uh, Lendetta, you know, all that shit slows you down, boss. You got to so stay clear just so, to slay. The A punter would hang out with uh, LT. So, so, Sean, yeah, uh, uh, so Sean Landetta, uh, I don't know if you remember him. He was the punter for the uh-huh. New York Giants with like uh, uh, Bill Parcells. Okay. So I come in the league. I'm in like my sec- first, second year. Um, Landetta's our punter. He's like in his like 24th year. So he's like legitimately in his 40s. And so I, I got hurt my rookie year. So I was rehabbing. So the punter goes out and punts, and then he would just come hang out in the training room, and we would just fucking rap. <laughs> and he was like just so talkative and was such a historian. Like if we, could, if he ever did a podcast, it would be fucking the best. I, I he's probably at home. Like the people have wanted him to get on and do a tell all, and he probably won't. So I'm probably getting in trouble for all this. <laughs> but uh, he told me he goes, you know, when I played for the Giants, he goes, we owned New York, we fucking owned it. Like he goes, LT, like it was like going somewhere with like a fucking beetle. And uh, LT liked to party so hard that he actually bought a strip club and had it moved right next door to uh, the Meadowlands. So he had a place to go hang. So his deal was uh, he would go out with LT and he goes first. uh, The women around LT were just unbelievable. He goes, I just wanted to be the guy standing there catching the apples that fell off the tree. He goes, LT liked to party, liked everything to party. I was the designated driver. I just wanted to be in the car when we piled all the ladies in because I knew I was going to fucking catch some apples. (laughs) And so he was like, I never drank, I never partied. He was just, wow. Yeah, he, his drug is short. He just wanted to slay. And he's like, let me tell you, uh, that stuff is not like there'd be a lot of lonely ladies waiting around for that, you know, that kind of deal. <laughs> and so he told us a great story. He said that they had a huge game coming up, and uh, they, you know, he got to the facilities there. It's like, you know, the, the trainers, the coaches are freaking out because LT's not there. And so, like thirty minutes, an hour before the game, they'd gone out to pregame. They come back in. And they carry LT in the room, like into the training room. And he's passed out. They had to go out and find him. He fucking killed himself and partied. So he's passed out. And they set up like an ice tub and a, and a, a hot tub. And they started dunking him back and forth, just going like contrast, back and forth, back and forth. He said on about the 10th fucking trip back and forth, all of a sudden his head snaps up. Eyes are fucking lit up. And he's fucking up. And he just walks in. Pulls on his football pads, pulled on his pants, put his socks and his shoes on, didn't take any gloves, didn't like no tape, nothing, didn't warm up, went out and set the single season sack record. 
That's uh... so as he's telling me the story, I'm like, so contrast. Yeah. <laughs> and so every single day before practice and before every game, I did bouts of contrast. I'd go three in the hot, two in, or it was a, a three in the cold, two in the hot, three in yeah. the cold, always finish in the cold. And I would go back and forth until I felt ready. And uh, I just was like, man, it's the LT protocol. I'm going to go out and fucking sit. And I, I played offensive line, obviously. But like Landetta had like a million stories. I love that. And uh, yeah, like that that LT story is why when people are like, oh, why do you contrast? I'm like, fucking <laughs> Landetta told me to when I was a 23-year-old kid. So I, I do it like still to this day. When I get in the shower, I go like, you know, uh, you know, hot, uh, cold, hot, and I always finish in the cold. Yeah. Uh, now I got, a, a, you know, a nice tub and always do it. But it's because like LT set the single season sack record with that motherfucker. That's fucking funny. But moral story is. Uh, like was LT a better player with or without it? It's just like there's certain individuals that are just so fucking out on the rails that that's where they exist and like that's where the greatness is. Yeah. Uh, would LT have been LT without all that? Probably. But like that just goes and plays into his personality. Yeah. The thing I'm disappointed with John Jones is I want to see – like so I, I've uh, – I'm like a fan of humanity in a weird way. Like I, I want to see the best in the world stand on the biggest stage – and have their greatest performance and get their greatest pay, uh, paycheck and fucking own the world. Like, um, like seeing a uh, big gypsy go in there and fight Wilder. Like he fucking blasted him, and to see fucking uh, uh, you know uh, big gypsy stand up there and like you know now all of a sudden they're they're getting this other one. I mean Anthony Joshua goes out and fights. You sick, dude? That was cool. Uh, exposed him. Yeah, uh, I think that they. I mean, I, I've always, I, I always liked Anthony Joshua as a uh, as a fighter, um, but they cherry picked his fucking opponents. Yeah, and they never put him in a situation that exposed his fucking jaw. And that dude who was giving away some serious eyes, fucking laid an ass whooping on him. And they had, dude, they called the round, the final round early and saved him by five yeah. seconds. Big time, he was getting whooped. Dude, he, he would have gone down. So I mean, well, I mean, uh, and with that one, it's interesting too because yeah, I mean, those boxing is this sport where. You almost you have to be legitimized by this like twenty and zero record or yeah. something, and they so you're fighting cans for so long. Yep. And so Joshua kind of got exposed by Andy Ruiz first. Yep. Came back and beat him, but then you sick. I mean, well, uh, he's fucking- dude. For, first of all, like you you give a dude like that's the the classic Rocky thing, right? Like Rocky three. Yeah. Well, no, it was Rocky one. Don't you remember the guy cut misses out on the fight? And then they pick Rocky, they bring him oh, in. Oh, yeah. It's but the then the, the plot of Rocky Three, they yeah. gave him cakes. Well, yeah. the problem is, is that, you know, he shows up out of shape. He's got nothing to lose the whole world. And then what does he do? He he goes out there and fucking Sunday punches and has these amazing overhand fucking like shots. Yeah. Knocks him out, wins the fight. And then what happens? Ruiz just fucking goes on a goes world on a world tour of six fucking, month bender. Yeah, bender yeah. of fucking booze, drugs, and uh, girls and food. Yeah, and then they get him in the rematch. Like, didn't train for it. No, and uh, <laughs> like, uh, like doesn't seize the opportunity, and then you know gets beat, and uh, you know now you have a situation. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, like I uh, uh, I want to go back and rewatch that because I didn't. I did. I had other shit. I didn't get a chance to watch it live. But the clips. Oh my god. Like of I, the second Ruiz Joshua no, fight, no, of uh, 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 Joshua's fight recently. Oh like this, yeah, with, yeah. Um, with Yusuf. Yusuf, yeah. I want to I want to rewatch that as well because I mean that's I mean well first of all those uh, what what is uh, Yusuf? He's he's Eastern European. Yeah. Was he um, Ukrainian uh, or something? Yeah, that's or Croatian or uh, Ukraine. I mean yeah, it's all the same. Just shit. the talent coming out of those like like the Lomachenko, uh, this guy that we work with a little bit out in L.A. Tarash Lestiak. I mean all these guys are. Uh, Olympians, you know, like, I mean, they're the best of the best and they got way bigger amateur records than any American does. Right. So they've got so much more experience. And 
I don't know, dude, something about those Eastern European guys. I've trained with a few of them, like American top team, these different places. They fucking punch harder. Something about being like not growing up in Southwest Houston makes them punch harder than me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, it's no different with Usyk. I mean, he just went out there and his aggressiveness just. And he's not a big dude. Not a big dude. No, he's not a big dude at all. I mean, so like I, uh, so what, what's really interesting is uh, the the fight that they were trying to put together was uh, was Big Gypsy. Um, I mean, right. what's Wilder ver- or it was uh, um, him versus Anthony Joshua. Right that now, was, they, now nobody wants to see that. No, now yeah. well, uh, and then the uh, Wilder had that uh, clause in his contract for the, for the rematch that he exercised, and I remember they tried to write him a check just to go the fuck away, yeah. and he was like, "Fuck off! I want to bring this one back in." And I'll tell you, I was a little bummed. But now, actually, after seeing what happened to Joshua, I'm more excited about this Wilder fight. No doubt. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to see. I want to see how it plays out. But honestly, I think Fury just smashes him again. Uh, he he's so big and so awkward yeah. and so like just fucking like he's so in in the NFL. There's a really weird thing. Like if uh, like if you walk out and you see the dude you're playing against, and he's like kind of awkward. Like you see him like a Willie Rowe for some of these other guys I've played where like the hips are a little wide and this and he just looks like, you know, like one of those like people. Like the concave knees, yeah, the like, wide hips. Yeah, like, 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 the, like the, yeah, just the like. muffin top. Yeah, just weird. And you see him and like things are oversized and this and he just looks real awkward and moves funny. Yeah. You're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a fucking tough one. And it's just because he's so physically outside the norm of what you usually see. Sure. You know, you see guy and uh, uh, like, dude, he's wow. I mean, uh, uh, Fury's like that. Yeah, he's so. I mean, he's six eight. He's so awkward. Uh, like his shoulder movement. I mean, he's uh, he he like dodges a punch so well. And uh, I I just like watching him fight. For as big and unathletic as he seems, he's so smooth in the ring. I, I mean, he, dude, there's zero part of him. Like when when you watch any of his training stuff, he's not athletic in any way that we would understand. No, but for some reason, he understands distance and movement in yeah. terms as it relates to another human being really well. Like when he had his uh, when he was first coming back uh, after like he lost all that weight, kind of went through his depression, started having his uh, he had like a, a few tune up fights, right? In mm-hmm. those tune up fights, when he pulls like pulls off the Ali in the corner yeah, against like guys like, that are supposed to be like pretty legit yeah. and just, they can't even touch him. And Ali's a little small, you know, Ali's like, like six, four or something like that. Yeah. To, to, for, a dude six, eight. for a dude that's six, eight to have that kind of movement is wild. And I like, it, it, and what's amazing is as, uh, as fucking like, uh, saddlebags, I mean, fat <laughs> like this, uh, he doesn't take body shots. Nah. I'm like, why isn't somebody fucking exposing his midsection? Yeah. And the problem is he wears his pants up so high <laughs> that I think that, like every shot into his love handle might as well yeah, be a fucking yeah. below the belt. Uh, dude, I'm I'm uh, I'm such a boxing fan. Did you listen to his uh, Rogan podcast? Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, where, where he talked about all his depression. Yeah. And then the fact that I like that he was like, hey, man, you know how I cured my depression? Uh, fucking paleo diet. And he's like, I fucking worked out, and um, which makes sense because fat's extremely oxidative. Sure. And whether or not this fucking uh, society wants to admit it, but the fatter you are, the more oxidative it is, and the more issues you have. Like, um, I mean, most of the sickness, illness, and the problems that people are be- dealing with, it's like eighty percent of the problems that people are dealing with, both for sickness, illness, and health and death, are fucking obesity related. You can't yeah. say that though, because that's. That's well, not very inclusive. Well, are you well, fit shaming us, John? You, well, here's here's the problem about fat shaming, right? Uh, we're not allowed to fat shame, but yet we can shame people for not wearing masks and not taking vaccines. Right. Like it, it's fucking weird to me. But at, at the end of the day, uh, I cannot like uh, I'm never going to fat shame somebody. It's just not my deal. But if your conscious decision to try to get in shape will fucking support you, but you can't tell me like you have to accept 
my lifestyle because uh, I'm not. We're we're in a fucking generalist health care pool. Yeah. Like uh, your health. I mean, like uh, I'm glad that you're big and proud, but I need you to be proud and smaller and be making a deal. I don't need you to be like, well, I'm just going to be a disgusting fucking fat body and eat myself to death. Right. And you have to accept it. No, I don't have to accept that. At the end of the day, though, uh, the big thing that I've learned on this podcast and through everything that I've done through my life is uh, you don't need anybody else's approval to live your life. You don't need my approval to do what you want to do. Like if I'm not a fan of fighting and I think it's a fucking knuckle dragger moron thing to do for a living. Do you? No, I'm just kidding. not at all. I'm a huge <laughs> fucking fight fan. I, 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 so I, I told you when I was a kid, I had uh, dreams of being a professional boxer. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I started martial arts when I was six and then I got, and then around 10 or 11, I thought kicking was stupid. So I went down to this place that, that had boxing, but also did kickboxing. And my dream was to be a professional boxer and I wanted to be a fighter. And I remember I was like, you had to settle for the NFL. Well, <laughs> so a, I was 14 years old and I was in the, we, we were doing a uh, sparring deal and I was six foot 165, 163. And, uh, this guy was about six foot 165, about my size, but he was 18. And I remember he hit me pretty hard in the face and like split my left eye open. And I remember thinking like, I'm going to go play football. <laughs> and then when I went to go out and play football, all the skills that I developed over the years for boxing with hand speed and quickness and jumping rope and foot, how to cut a guy off in the ring, how yeah. to fucking understand and judge distance, two thirds inside out, don't square a guy up. Translated? It, like, like fucking uh, duck, you know, water to duck. That's cool. And I'm like, so wait a minute, this is like playing against dudes that don't know how to fight. They don't understand first meaningful touch. They don't understand angles. They don't understand how to cut a dude off and how to stay in space. And all the skill set that I had in terms of like first meaningful touch, fast hands, it just all translated. And I could always legitimately, like I was always a heavy handed hitter, like the type of fucking shots where people are like, like you're talking about like the Ukrainians where you hit them and you feel it in your bones. Yeah. That was always me. Ah. So all of a sudden when I started punching dudes, I could see their, like the look on their face of being like, I don't want to get hit by this dude anymore. But in boxing, it's just part of the deal, you know? Uh, I'd, I'd love to expand on that because Andrew, you came in from football to fighting. John went fighting to football. Right, right. And football mentality is think downhill, toughness, work, push. And that's almost counterintuitive for successful fighting. Yeah, I, none, I mean, well, jujitsu, which is well, this, this, like like uh, Brazilians are the laziest people on the planet. <laughs> and that's why they're really good at jujitsu because it's the laziest sport on the planet. At least punctual as well. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we trained Vitor Belfort. Oh, uh, so oh, so yeah. uh, where we were as CrossFit Balboa was next door to the Ruka factory in Costa Mesa. Okay. So Vitor came over and trained with us. And so we had Brazilian time. Which I'm gonna be there at ten, which might be anywhere from like one to four, sure. and then he's gonna ask for like uh, it. Just it was an absolute fucking disaster. The the Sao Paulo card that I fought on that was uh, Vitor and Bisping were the main event. Okay, so that was when uh, that was when TRT was okay. <laughs> yeah. So I remember I was I, I was and like Vitor came out yoked. Dude, I was like sitting there. So you, you the first thing you do when you show, show for fight week is you sign like 120 posters, right? You just sit there at this table. There's a stack of posters. Usually you have like one other fighter, and you just sign, and somebody takes them away, and you sign the next one. And um, it's like it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Like, oh, dude, this many people care about my signature. But I remember like Vitor is right across from me, and I've been watching this guy forever. Yeah. But I was like, I'm, I'm an extrovert, but I'm also sometimes kind of shy. Did you and recognize him? Come on, he had the he had the mohawk oh, going okay. at the time and fucking traps up to his ears. Like yeah. that's like Vitor. I like to watch fight, dude. So I saw Vitor walk in, and then all of a sudden, like a year later, I saw Vitor walk in, and I was like, didn't I was like, I was fucking didn't, was, re- didn't was, recognize uh, post TRT or pre TRT. Uh, well, we saw him in the non TRT, but then I okay. also saw him after the like it was there was. 
like TRT is the, it, it was oh, like the, the, uh, the Mark McGuire Androstein. Yeah. No, I don't take drugs. This is my bottle of Androstein. Yeah. There's no fucking TRT in that. No, the, the TRT V tour, that dude's bodied up. That yeah. dude is one of the best fighters there is. Yeah. Uh, the non TRT, you saw like how he just faded in the UFC. Everybody's yeah. beating his ass. Uh, well, dude, uh, fucking Anderson Silva with the fucking, uh, a Cigar front, front kick. kick. Yeah, man. Caught him with the front. And then, and then the best is you got fucking V tour, uh, 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 you have fucking Anderson Silva thanking fucking Steven Seagal for teaching him the front kick. That had been in his corner. Dude, the axis, like the world just fell off its axis yeah. the minute that fucking Steven Seagal got fucking. Steven Seagal has his fucking trench coat and like, like yellow shitty <laughs> glasses. He's like it. 500 pounds yeah. sweating. He's got sweat towels <laughs> and he's like basically over there. He's like, he calls Sweat towels for him. Yeah. No. Well, uh, so in, in the NFL, when the, you know, uh, the big dudes would go out, all the brothers would always have like these towels because they sweat real bad to get out of their sweat towel. Seagal's rolling around with like a dozen sweat towels because he's so fat. <laughs> but he's over there and he's like, he calls me sensei and I taught him this front kick. I, and and I, I was waiting for fucking uh, um, uh, Anderson, who's too nice an individual, to be like, no, this fucking guy's full of shit. Right. But he legitimately was like telling, he's like, you know, sensei taught me this. Yeah. Like my head fucking exploded. No. Because for years we've been talking about what a fucking fraud Seagal is. And we're like, could he legitimate be a fucking like a genius? Like a real well, dude? That was interesting about Seagal is like as big of a joke as he seems. He was like one of the first dudes to have an uh, actual like successful well like a uh, he was a, a aikido a, school in, in Japan. Japan but he was also one of the first American aikido black belts yeah and and held, and actually had a school there so uh, I mean he's he's got look, clearly he's got a side to him that's very legit and clearly he's got a side to him that's a total fucking joke yeah and it's just you got to marry the two you know well it's like you don't know how to navigate them yeah it's exactly kind of, ah fuck dude but yeah the uh, Ah, oh, shit, dude. I, I, I've been uh, such a fight fan. And the thing that I love about the UFC so much, which is a little bit different than boxing, where, uh, you know, we have a deal in the NFL, any given Sunday, anybody can win. Uh, I feel like in boxing um, that, I mean, when you get in the ring with, uh, uh, you know, Money Mayweather, I mean, he's never lost. There's a good chance you're not going to lay a glove on him. I mean, the guy spent 20 years fucking getting away from the best in the world. Sure. You know, Manny Pacquiao, and you see these guys fight, and like, you have a pretty good idea of like how this is going to go down. UFC, Mm-mm. there is nobody can call that shit. I mean, Anderson Silva goes out there, breaks his fucking leg. I mean, uh, Conor McGregor uh, goes out there and fucking breaks his leg. Yep. I mean, after, I mean, and that was so, and, and you're right. So if, if we're looking at like the big boxing matches, like, okay, the the next Fury Wilder card, I'm, you know, Fury is probably going to be a heavy favorite. Yeah. There's only a few matchups right now. Like, if we look at the one coming up, the Canelo versus the Plant fight. Dude. Based on the press conference alone, oh. Canelo's going to whoop that ass again. Uh, Canelo is hands down one of the most impressive fighters I've ever seen. Big and time. and uh, if you go back, he fought Mayweather. And Mayweather just took him to fucking school. Yeah. And he basically took that fight and cloned everything Mayweather into this right. fucking like. Because how old was he in that? Fight? He's like twenty two or twenty three, yeah. right? Dude, he was like, just like, he was like have you kid. ever seen how many fights he has? It's like fifty something in Dude, one. Uh, like the old, like so. Uh, well, I think it's like in the last uh, what was it like fifteen years or uh, has it been fifteen years that McGregor's been fighting? He has like it's like less than ten or twelve fights. Yeah, I mean Tyson fought fifteen times in one year. Right, right, right. right? He fought like I mean like. I'm pretty amazed. Uh, like I love Conor McGregor's uh, bravado, and I love the image and all the other shit talking. I mean, he's taking the fucking Ali model to the fucking next level, sure. and seeing him go head to head with uh, with Mayweather, 
he fucking dude, uh, he out shit talked him. I mean, the only person's probably on par with those guys are those fucking moron Jake uh, Jake Paul and his brother. Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, going back a little bit, I think Chael Sonnen laid the blueprint for a guy like uh, Mayweather or yeah, for uh, a guy for, like McGregor. For McGregor, Chael Sonnen was like that guy cut the best promos, just wasn't as successful yeah. fighting. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, uh, McGregor, who has really uh, like not fought as I mean, to, for the amount of money he's made. I mean, he made more money out of the booze thing, out of the proper 12 oh, than yeah. he did ever out of his fighting. But just like the fact that he's done it and like his Twitter and the shit talking and all this other stuff, man. So, uh, Andrew, are you asked, like, are you asked to do that stuff? Or is it these guys just taking initiative they, to try to. They, they listen, they, they're like, hey, man, if you win this fight and you get on the microphone, don't thank your sponsors. Call somebody out. They, they yeah. We want to we wanna hear who you want to fight. And I was always like, Oh, you know, I feel pretty good after this fight. I don't care who they give me. Well, it's you know, like you know. it's it's I'm, that's it's, it's, it's hard fucking, to turn it on. It's really hard to be that like uh, at, at least for me. Um, you know, I mean, other than you know, we've done a good job on this podcast over the many years. We have enough of them where the shit gets buried. Five hundred. Five hundred. Oh, five hundred episodes deep. Five. Well, about to five hundred fights. Will we figure it takes to make? Have you seen knock around guys? No. Oh, oh with Vin oh, Diesel? Uh-uh. So there's a line in there in this fucking movie that Vin Diesel was in where uh, these guys are mobsters. And so they show up to this little town that like uh, robbed them or something. 20 years ago. It's 2000. 20 years ago. So they show up and they're like looking for the tough guy in the town. So this guy comes over. He's a fucking asshole. And the guy's like, he'll do. So he goes over and he like gets in this dude's face. And he's like, 500. And the guy's like, 500 what, fuckhead? It's like 500 fights. 500 fights is how many fights you need to consider yourself a legitimate tough guy. Oh, and then okay. he goes into this whole monologue and then beats the dog shit out of him. And uh, I fucking love it because, yeah. you know, we and we, we posted it when we had our 500th podcast. We're like, 500 podcasts is how many podcasts you need to be a legitimate podcast. I like that. And so I posted it. And, of course, these guys are like, you know, the uh, um, Internet fighters who are by far, you know, the, the most deadly individuals on the planet. <laughs> but these guys are like, no legitimate fighter would ever say anything like this. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. It's the movies, you fucking asshole. It's a great fucking monologue. Yeah. Nobody's had, I mean, the only person to have legitimately 500 fights is some like Roman guy uh, or, uh, sorry, Greek dude in like the uh, pugilist would have like 500 fucking boxing matches and they basically right. carve him on a, on, on a vase. So like, we know that it's fake, but just... Fucking enjoy the movie. You're the guy that shows up to like, you know, the Lord of the Rings and be like, I don't think Ergolos could ever really jump off that elephant. <laughs> You're like, it's a fucking elf, you fucking dipshit. Fictional yeah. characters. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's the problem with the internet is you have people that are trying to go around and write all the wrongs. I'm like, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to correct the internet. Start at the beginning and just work your way back till you finish. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. if you put like, I mean, I, I'll put stuff online and nobody's like question my technique but we got a lot of people at 10th planet well they want to put like a little like clip of their hitting pads or something like that and some of these people with like uh bigger social followings especially like a female or something that puts it up there has at least like 40 dudes like well you should be rotating that back oh, foot a little bit more you, dude, you know the amount of fucking internet coaches that keyboard want to critiques oh yeah. dude I, I like yeah constantly keyboard critique uh, i like it the yeah. uh Okay, so uh, like uh, um, one, we'll finish with this one. I hope that John Jones, uh, I'd like to see him fight heavyweight. So either you change the rules or put that guy in a fucking island somewhere, get him into fight heavyweight, just so that he can legitimize, you know, like the his his place in the. In We've got to see it, and we got to know like how far he could have taken it. Yeah. So yeah. so that that's good for me. Uh, I think uh, uh, as much as I enjoy Conor McGregor's uh, shit talking bravado and the entire image. I don't really enjoy a lot of his fighting. 
I well, I mean, okay, so I've seen some, yeah. but it's so fucking hot or cold for me. When he was on his run, there was nobody that was more impressive for for that short amount of time. Like yeah. between his fight with uh, Dustin Poirier to Jose Aldo to Eddie Alvarez, I mean that shit was so impressive. But as soon as you lose it a little bit, man, it's hard to get it back. Yeah, you get a chink in that I armor. Mean, that that yeah, that magic Mac is gone. Yeah, and so I guess uh, I didn't finish my thought, but going back to like we were talking about the boxing, and we got started talking about Canelo. Is um oh he's so good there yeah there's very so few good. fights that are right now like maybe um if Errol Spence and Bud Crawford fight that'll be like one that I won't be able to call I won't be able to like decisively yeah. say who's gonna win <clears throat> um I don't however, think I don't think Canelo loses uh like you could run that fucking fight ten times no I mean uh, but back I to back and he's gonna fucking win ten out of ten yeah I don't see anybody touching Canelo right now um. Back to that press conference, I thought it was the coolest thing. Did you well, see that press conference? Uh, with Canelo? Dude, uh, he fucking cut it. He uh, Canelo hit him with this little open hand shot, like he got him with a body and an open hand. Yeah, and he cut his eye. Canelo, but did the guy uh, call his plan. mom out? Dude, okay, so this is what I heard: is uh, the guy said "motherfucker," right? And Canelo took real offense to that, and not like use like a regular term "motherfucker," but like took it like personally, and then. Uh, and that's what Canelo said after the fight. I was talking to whatever journalist. This journalist has the same conversation with the plant. It's like, why did he get so mad? The plant goes, because I said motherfucker. But Canelo was saying motherfucker to this other guy, uh, DeAndre or whatever. So he was that, just looking for a reason. Just looking for a yeah. reason. But it was so impressive that the guy took that, swiped at him, boom, pulls, hits him with a two-piece yeah. at a press conference. You never see that. Dude. Uh, unbelievable. But uh, Open hand and split his eye and got him in the body. Yeah, Fucking liver shot. Awesome. Uh, going back to talking about the UFC fights, though, that's kind of the thing that's like, um, you, it's everybody's always like, oh, you think that person's washed now? You know, like they lost to this guy, this guy, this guy. Dude. Like they lost to the champion, the number one, and the number two. And in fights, somebody's got to lose. Well, right. And, and, and the, the other thing, and, and I, I uh, um, don't have the fucking fight experience you do. So, like, I'm uh, like, I'm probably like a, a lot of dudes that are trying to call Sunday, you know, quarterback, you know, deal where I, you know, I wouldn't done this. Uh, but like legitimately being in that combative deal, anybody that has the, you know, it, whether it's the guts, the stupidity, the moxie, whatever it is, the grit to walk in the ring, regardless of the outcome, deserves respect. Sure. And so like, um, you know, people like, like my, my wife thinks it's funny whenever we, t uh, she'll ask me about football and I'll be like, Hey, like in the NFL, there's like uh, two classes of citizens. You have your starters that are legitimate fucking players. And then you have these other guys who are the backups that like might not be at that level, but like if if I was playing against a dude that was a you know future Hall of Famer and he he came out and his backup came in, I was gonna wear that fucking dude out. It just like and right. she she was like, so there's dudes in the NFL that suck, and I'm like, well, suck is relative. When you play at a high level, there's guys that like sh aren't starters that shouldn't be there, but yet they're better than 99 percent of the fucking world. Yeah. So there's like two classes of citizens, uh, but the fact that they strap up their fucking pads and they get out there and they do their job. Like regardless of how they how it ended, I I always will like hey if you did the fucking job, you know sure it, it, it is what no, it is. No, I, I see what but, you're but, saying. But in in the boxing thing, if you have the balls to fucking stroll out there, get in the cage regardless of the outcome. And so what drives me fucking crazy and why we stop or like why I stopped going to in person fights because I, I we went to a bunch of them was listening to the people in the crowd. Oh yeah, who I, I was like fuck you. I was like you guys are booing these and you guys are talking about all this other shit and it's. It's fucking disingenuous to me. I'm like, dude, like, uh, like in the boxing world, like, uh, it, you know, 
Andy Ruiz, whatever, whatever you want to say, parties deal. But the motherfucker went in there knowing he hadn't trained. Because at the end of the day, when you're all alone in the lock, you know, in, in the locker room, and the guy tapes your hands up, and you got that ten minutes to yourself, where they're always like, "Okay, you ready? We're going yeah. out in 10. Like that's the time when you close your eyes and you have those honest conversations. Did I do everything I need to do to win this? Have I put myself in the best position? Am I in the best shape? Like, what are my chances? Like, you you have to do that mental assessment, just like I did for every game. Have I done the work? Sure. Do I know what I'm supposed to do? Do I know who I'm going against? Do I have a game plan? Am I the motherfucker I'm claiming to be as I stroll out there? And, like, you can fucking false bravado that. You can bullshit everybody. But when it's just you, there's no way for you to lie to yourself. Yeah. And the fact that those guys have the guts to still walk out there, I think you, they instantly get respect from me, now, regardless of the outcome. Sure. No, I mean, uh, you, you have those conversations, and you know you've done the work. But man, at a certain point, that self-doubt can always creep in somehow. I remember like there were certain fights where I would walk out and for whatever reason, like the music hits better or just something about it. You know, you just feel it and you feel that you get in that flow state. And I've always, you're always searching, at least in fighting, you're searching, how do I get back to that flow state? What about that fight camp or that walkout song or my pre-fight ritual got me there? Um, and I know- is it because you guys don't have enough? Like so, so this is uh, this is interesting in the NFL. So I mean, obviously, I got 16 games to play. Um, you get so many opportunities to do it every Sunday. Not enough reps. That I know exactly how to get to that exact yeah. like uh, like they call it flow state, um, uh, dude. I just used to call it like the fucking switch, where like you come running out and everything gets quiet and you fucking your you know like your your vision gets hyper focused. It's almost to the point when you like you see like something in focus and everything's out of focus in a yeah. picture. Same deal. Everything slows down. Everything gets real quiet and like all of a sudden things start happening. Like like it, it's it's a it's a, a it's where I wish I could live my life. Well, I think. But um, like, is it because you guys don't have enough? Like like it's like the days like Tyson had fifteen fights in a year. I mean, he went yeah. out there automatic. I mean, you know, guys are getting fucking a fighter once a year. So, and, no, and there's I, no way to replicate that. That's a great point. And I, I, I try to um, talk to my fighters about that. So, for instance, when I first started amateur fight, four fights in a year, right? That's pretty, that's one a quarter, but sure. you're pretty much, you get done with the fight and you're straight back to the training room and you got another fight on the horizon. It's already booked. And those were some of my best fights. Obviously, the competition wasn't as much. It's not in the UFC. But as I built up, even though my first year in the UFC, I think I fought three times. And it was just always, it was more comfortable. But then as I started losing, I was I, my thought was this. And it wasn't the correct thought, but I thought, okay, if I lost, I need to take more time off and improve no. and get better with the skill set. You, you got to get right back in. But it's not that. Yeah. Get right back in there. And I well, wish I had understood that earlier, but I thought, oh man, my skills are lacking. But it was really just gain the reps and gain the that comfort. Well, I mean, we used to see it constantly. That man, there were guys who were hammers in practice that couldn't play in the games. Yeah. And it was because, you know, the lights and all the other shit. Whereas uh um I think the people that were in that situation are the ones that loved the moment. Right. Uh for me, uh I would have done it in a fucking alleyway in East LA. Uh like you know, if, if we were like, hey, we're just basically transporting you to an alley in some back deal yeah. and nobody's gonna see it other than some bums, we're still gonna go out and do the same fucking right. dance. And I think what I always loved was uh, I always loved the physical one-on-one fucking fight. Like I get to know exactly how good or bad I am every single fucking play, hundreds of times, you know, every Sunday in front of millions of people yeah. or ten people, one person. Right. And I think with the fight game, um, the it's become like like I don't think they have enough opportunities. And then the other thing too is if you get into a rut or if a guy's fucking playing all your moves, instantly you do a one eighty. Like if I'm a big punch and I know my set and somebody's hitting my hands, all of a sudden I'll change something. 
And I think all too often in the fight game, uh, guys are too like nervous, like, you know, hey, if, uh, if if this is the tempo I fight this next fight, I'm going to go fucking, you know, uh, Clay Guida. And, yeah. uh, you know, and so the one thing that I, I realized is that guys are really nervous to change tempos and to be like, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I fought the, the, the last one. The whole thing was on the ground. This time I'm going to fucking stand up. And I like always think that like people in there, like whatever you did that got you to lose, we're going to do a 180 and we're going to try to fucking throw up, throw you're, something. You're out. always trying to make all these corrections that don't actually exist, that don't actually need to be corrected. I mean, this it's minor tweaks and we, we try to change it majorly. So who's helping you? make those tweaks is it your your thought on it's, your game it's my or your thought coaches? process and then uh coaches as well they, they they contribute to it but for instance one of the things with me was uh one of my losses was a three-round decision this happened to me twice i lost a three-round decision but the third round i beat the shit out of the guy right i just like it's like a slow starter yeah but you can't call it like uh, so here's the deal man and and dude we used to see this constantly if you lose in decision that's not a fucking loss Right. Like, like if somebody else, but you still get paid half. Yeah, but if somebody else makes a decision, like I, like I'm, I'm a firm believer that we're masters of our own destiny. But in the fight game, because I've seen it a million times, just like I'm sure you have, a guy fucking wears somebody out, and then all of a sudden you're like, you're seeing the decision, and you're like, man, that isn't what I saw. Yeah. And uh, um, like who, who, who was a fight we just saw where uh, they had the three guys were all from the dudes. Oh, it was a, uh, um, uh, oh, it was uh, the Jake Paul fight. Oh yeah. Uh, all three judges were from his hometown. Really? Yeah. And so it goes to decision. He wins the decision. Sure. And so like at the oh, end yeah, of the day, uh, you know, I mean, it, dude, like I always think with decision fights, uh, you got to almost like look at those as like, hey, man, like I might have lost the money, but this is a draw. Sure. Like, to, to, to win a belt and to be a champ, you got to knock the fucking champ out. Yeah. Nobody wins a belt on decision. I mean, it's like it's it's tricky because like for those fights, for instance, if you looked at the after the fight, like both guys, one guy won, but his face is way more fucked up. Yeah. We judge off that or something. But the thing that got me with that is okay, I had these slow starts. So the next fight, I'm like, I gotta go faster. I gotta be more aggressive. I'm not, that's really not my fight style. And both of those fights, I didn't lose a decision. I lost uh, a finish because I got too anxious. Or you got too gassed. No, I didn't get gassed. I just went for a move too soon without mm -hmm. setting it up, just anxious to anxious to make something happen rather than letting the kind of letting the fight come to me and playing this counter game, this this more evasive game that I like a to play. A little more chess. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so I mean, uh, the tweaks that you, I mean, that's just why I think the fight career is so difficult because yeah, you, you lose a fight, you get paid half and all of a sudden your money's affected and you're like, I gotta change something. You know, um, man, there's, um, uh, so I mean, obviously uh, I'm nobody to fucking, I mean, comment on Dana White or any of that. But uh, like in the NFL, we get paid our salaries, win or lose. Yeah. So, guy, but of course, everybody wants to win. Same, same amount of money, depending on um, based on who's there too. Yeah, you're still getting yeah. paid the same. Yeah, well, like you get paid. You know, here's your contract. Win or lose, you get paid whatever your contract is supposed to be giving right. you. Uh, like because the idea is that everybody wants to win because nobody wants to lose. Like, like you're not there just to collect a paycheck, yeah. and if you are, you get out of there real quick. But you know, you get a chance to go to the playoffs and fucking win a ring, and there's a lot of different things. I think if they just paid dudes contracts, and there was some like. Uh, almost like a, a fucking, I don't know, like what, what do you call it? like not a, um, like some form of like a, a, I don't know, bracket where, you know, hey, like uh, these guys in the UFC, we'll, we'll take all these winners 
and then they're going to fight against all these winners. And they just kind of yeah. did a deal where guys are paid the same, but then the more you won, the more opportunity you, you would have to fight against other guys that were winners. And you basically get to the point where like, you know, like in uh, uh, fucking basketball, right? Like the brackets for um, March uh, Madness. Yeah, for March Madness. Like if they took that same approach where it's like, hey, uh, you know, we're going to pay you X. This is your contract. This guy gets paid now, however he negotiates or whatever they think his value is better. You're going to get paid your money regardless. Now, if you win, you get a chance to go on. And I think you end up with like a winner's bracket. And to me, uh, that would solve a ton of these problems. It'd be huge. I mean, yeah. And like you said, we're not fighting any harder for the extra money. I mean, you're going to fight your ass off. You're locked in a cage and fight in front of millions of people. Like you're not, you don't want to lose. Dude, you want to fucking win. You're a competitor. I, That's how you got there in the first place. I played against a dude who uh, to this day is still the dude. His nickname was the hammer for a very re- uh, uh, good reason. I played him. He was an old guy. I was a young guy when I played him. Got him Keith Hamilton. Uh, he had all of his kids fucking faces tattooed all over his body. And I remember asking him, like, Hammer, what's up with all that? And he's like, uh, he goes, uh, basically, uh, I got to pay child support and alimony on all these fucking kids. And when I look at him, it makes me fucking mad. And that's why I play so hard on Sunday. <laughs> he's like, so they're a constant reminder of you all the money that I got to fucking pay. a complete different direction than I thought it was going to go. I know. Yeah. And that's why I did it. And uh, I, because it went, I, I thought he was there for like motivation. His kids yeah. inspire him. No, I got to seal the money. I got to pay these motherfuckers. And it makes me that's angry hilarious. to play on Sundays. And that motherfucker, when I say he played the game, uh, this dude will never make it to the Hall of Fame. And if I were to mention his name, a lot of people wouldn't know him. But he was legitimately the dude. Uh, I played against him as a second-year guy. And the fucking – I haven't taken many ass whoopings in my life. I used, uh, my brother was funny. I used to call him after every game. He'd be like, look, man. He's like, you caught that dude slipping again. I'm like, yeah, I caught him on a bad day. He's like, how did you have a whole career catching people on their bad day? And I'm like, I was lucky. And uh, But Keith Hamilton – after that first time I played against him, it was such a fucking war. I ripped his picture out of the um, out of the program, and I put it in my wallet in front of my license. So every time I opened my wallet to get something, I had to look at his picture. There's that motivation, and I and it was my motivation yeah. to train. Is anytime I went to go spend money, anytime I opened my wallet, whatever, I had to look at this motherfucker's <laughs> face. And uh, the next time I went and played him, uh, I fucking dude, I brought it as I should. Yeah, and I remember um, um, uh, Michael Strahan. Telling me, he goes, uh, you know, you were the only dude he ever really respected. And, Whoa. And he goes, uh, he goes, he said that you played the game hard. You never gave up. And he's like, you know, that guy respected you and he didn't respect anybody. That's high praise. So for me, uh, that shit is more important than a, a fucking yellow jacket sure. can or a bus or any of that other shit. Like the admiration of the people that played the game the way that it should be played. Just, just like in the fight game. Yeah. Like there's dudes that will go to the Hall of Fame. There's, there's guys out there that you know. You're like, man, uh, nobody will ever know this dude's name. But this motherfucker was a badass. Yeah. And I think like in eventually in this deal, you can be like, you know, uh, McGregor with your fucking Lamborghini yacht. But at the end of the day, um, like, well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're all going to be old. We're all going to die. Yeah. And the only thing that fucking matters is how you did it. More importantly, respect to the people that did it with you. Fellow athletes and fans do recognize heart. And so like, again, seven fights in the UFC, that's a blip. Compared to a lot of people, like look at like Cerrone is like on twenty five fights yeah. or something like that. These guys, which is so impressive, because to get on a tangent, there's no um, rebound fights in the UFC. If you're a big time boxer and you lose a fight, well, your next fight's like gonna be a gimme. Like they gotta get you back on track. Yeah. That's not happening in the UFC. It's like, oh, you lost to this killer. Here's another one. Yeah. Good luck. And um, so again, like you know, seven fights is not much. However, I'll still get like good praise from people that saw just this this obscure undercard fight of me like in 2013 we're like man 
you're really goddamn dude, tough. I'm like, such a nice thing to say, man. I appreciate uh, that. Dude, this is hilarious, but probably about a year ago, uh, our friends live over in Lakeway, and uh, we were driving over there, and uh, this idiot was basically running in his underwear. He's in great shape, uh, but he was legitimately running in like spandex manties with a set of running shoes. And the guy was tan in fucking phenomenal shape, and I almost hit him on accident because he fucking jerked in front of my car, but it was uh, Sage Undercut. Oh, uh, Sage Northcutt. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Sage Northcutt. I mean, uh, that dude should just get into modeling. Dude, yeah. Uh, well, but he's also, he had like, he got accepted to uh, A&M like with like uh, petroleum engineering or yeah, something yeah, as well. Super, yeah, but uh, like, yeah. like there's a dude who had, I mean, he's over there doing backflips, looks like a million dollars. I yeah. mean, could be like, had all of the uh, physical like appearance of being like a fucking movie star and all, you know, he's doing backflips. He's a good looking dude. I mean, the dude's running in his underwear and I'm like, that guy looks pretty good in his underwear. Uh, but uh, like, look at his fight career. I mean, he ended up fucking Dana White fucking basically just laughs him out of the UFC, goes over and he's like, what's he going to do? Uh, the uh, was it uh, Pride? One yeah. fights Cosmo. And just gets his fucking ass smashed. I mean, his at like shattered his face. Shattered, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like they take him over to one. Okay. You just, you just signed one of the biggest talents coming out of the UFC, one of the biggest names, um, build him up, do something. So no, they have, they have him fight Cosmo Alexander, one of the best Muay Thai fighters in the yeah. entire world. And, um, you know, yeah. Cosmo has got a hundred fights too. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and fucking fists and legs of iron. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's been in like a Thailand forest, like kickboxer style where they're beating him with fucking like bamboo sticks for fucking 20 years. Yeah. He's a Brazilian dude. He's lived in Thailand. He's won the King's cup. He's yeah. fought all the biggest names and they put him in with stage and you an know, absolute, I mean, yeah. dude, this, an absolute assassin of steel. Like this dude is a fucking beast and goes in there and just destroys his fucking kid just one punch KOs him and just breaks his entire face like and then you get Dana White being like well he'll never fight again and he'll never fight for me and like that kid and now I see him jogging the like way yeah luckily luckily um, luckily he's got a good backdrop right he can he can jump into movies jump into modeling well to do family has this has this uh, degree waiting for him to go get with petroleum petroleum engineering and uh, and he but so so what, what we figured out in the NFL, and I'm sure you see in the fight, the people that have a plan B never execute their plan A. Yeah. So like the uh, uh, so when, when I, I, I did all my interviews for the NFL when I was a rookie at the Combine, like I was uh, graduated from Berkeley in four years, did my master's work, had applied for a scholarship to go to law school. Uh, my dad was a lawyer. Uh, my brothers are lawyers. Like, a, you know, uh, upper middle class kid from Palos Verdes, like had all of, you know, my parents have been married or my dad passed away since, but uh, like 50 some years um, you know, had like this, you know, good sure. family. And I remember they were always like, so what are you gonna do if this doesn't work out? I'm like, oh, I'm probably gonna go to law school. And so what was hilarious was that, uh, that they don't want to hear that. So when I had the opportunity to go out and prep a bunch of, uh, like going to be future NFL players, they were like, what's the interviews gonna be like? I'm like, here's what you do. You tell them there is no fucking plan B. Yeah. I'm dying on the sword. Like, this is all like, I got this and you know what, if this doesn't work, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. This is all I have. And so you can ask Chris, I prepped those kids. And basically explained to them because I knew all the, uh, the the scouts. I knew what they wanted to hear. But I laid it out and I was like, first of all, you have no other interest. This is all you do. This is all you want. When they ask you about school, you're like, I was just there to play football. And I think I prepped these kids well enough that most of them went on and were kind of successful. Yeah. And yeah. Done, done different, well. different kind of fan. Backup center for the Ravens stepped in last year yeah, and then helped their playoff run. Uh, different kind of fan rooting for those guys. It was cool. Yeah. Uh, within your two years, 24-hour fitness. Okay. Staying with pops, like what was that mindset? Was it like I'm fighting to get I'm, the fuck dude, out of here? I'm not nearly as good looking as Sage Northcutt, <laughs> dude. I'm taller than him. Okay, <laughs> um, 
so that's a good question. For me, that was, I think, one of the toughest parts of the whole journey because graduated and every single one of my friends got a job or went back to school, MBA, law school, whatever. I was the only guy that went home and lived with my folks, right? That's not fun. Um, everybody else is Did like- Did they call that re-nesting? Re-nesting? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Andrew invented that. Yeah. Uh, I call that, uh, yeah, no, you, you're fucking not coming home. Uh, good on your dad for letting because I told my kids I'm like when you leave you're not coming home your yeah. mom and I are moving no yeah my dad I mean my parents are cool uh, I got lucky obviously because I, I mean, I'm probably could not have maybe I, I would have found a way but it would have been much more difficult right because like 24 hour fitness was not paying the bills that was just like give me a little extra money my dad was just super supportive maybe I could have lived like by my cousin I don't know what it would have done but anyway um, being like a social extrovert and all of a sudden just cutting all that out of my life for like a year and a half, two years was very, very difficult for me. And um, just like skipping friends' weddings, parties, whatever. No, man, I got to train for what? I, I got to do jujitsu, you know? Uh, I want to fight. Like, it's, 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 people didn't comprehend it. But I'm happy I made the, sac- the sacrifice makes it all worth it, right? The journey's the reward. And um, so yeah, that I think was the most one of the most difficult parts. One of the most fulfilling parts was when I finally got to this point where I was like, um, moved out, obviously, teaching martial arts full time, you know, not, no longer doing something I wasn't passionate about, which was personal training, which I also knew nothing about. I didn't, what is, what's like the most basic one? NASM or something? Ace, NASM. Yeah, yeah. Na- yeah, I don't even, I didn't No like, disrespect, just. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, just, yeah, but just I, a weekend yeah, training. I, I had, no, I had you access. I had no business having that cert- certificate, you know, just like, oh, I, I just knew, the, I don't know. I passed that. You knew that. the basics. Yeah, I knew the basics enough. So um, getting to the point where I was teaching martial arts full-time, where I was good enough to teach everybody else, that was a, I was like, wow. I've, did that help you as an athlete? It did. And then, so that's another thing that I kind of uh, imparted my, upon my guys is don't take breaks, breaks from fighting. If you lose a fight, try to get back in there quickly. Yeah. The other thing that I found out was I think I was a much more successful fighter when I was still teaching. Um, when I got to the point when I was in the UFC and I finally made some money and I was like, cause I think my last fight out of outside of the UFC was 2000 fight, 2000 fight, 2000 to win. Right. Four grand. Pretty nice. Right. Pretty nice. Yeah. So then I fought in the UFC and all of a sudden I was you like, you can't have a cocaine habit on that fucking money. <laughs> no, you can't blow that in a fucking weekend or uh, sorry, uh, in a day by a lot of high, by about a, uh, lot of, a lot of high life, you know? A lot of cheap beer, um, the champagne, yeah, dude, of beers, and then uh, and then the UFC. You know, I don't know what the first paycheck was, but it was like you know maybe twelve and twelve or fourteen and fourteen plus like a discretionary bonus plus sponsorships and shit like that. I was like, well, I'm definitely done teaching now. I'm rich, bitch. Um, yeah, dude, I'm going to the moon. So anyway, um, I think not teaching, not being involved in the sport, like because uh, when I teach, I'm constantly thinking about things. I'm constantly explaining things, reevaluating techniques. Um, watching fights more and kind of picking out what they're doing, dissecting what they're doing and relating that to my guys and then doing it myself. And when I got away from that, I think um, my fight IQ didn't necessarily go down, but I just think your skills will, they plateaued. They didn't continue to rise as much. I was still training, still learning other things, but I wasn't as involved in being like a student of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When did you acquire your black belt? Was just a couple that, years ago, a few uh, years ago, like maybe 2018 or something. Yeah, I always, I, so I honestly didn't have to be a master so, to go. So what uh, fight professionally? Um, uh, there's obviously like, um, and I, dude, I'm, I'm gonna like 
I have no practical knowledge on this. I just know what people have said, especially with like the tent planet stuff yeah. being uh, very non-conventional in terms of jujitsu. So, so there's more like the Jean-Jacques Muchado and like, uh, like the Gracie kind of systems sure. versus the tent planet, which, uh, I heard is like much more free flowing. It well, tenth planet. There's a few things about it. It's all is exclusive no gi, so um, there's no pajamas in the tenth planet system. It's all no gi. They they uh, employ a variety of like overhooks and stuff. It's kind of meant to be used in mixed martial arts to not have to grab as much gi. So they use a lot of hooks and. They go heavy on leg locks. Leg locks are leg locks have been around forever, but sure. now they're they're more predominant than ever, right? Um, my black belt is not within Tenth Planet. I've been teaching at Tenth Planet for a while now, but my black belt came from my cousin, who's more th- traditional. Carlos Gracie Jr. He got it in Brazil at the Gracie Baja Academy. So my even though I was had been out of a gi for a long time for like years, because I kind of I recognized early on, kind of like when I first took Taekwondo as a kid, I was like. This isn't practical to bring my hands back down to my waist. Yeah. Even as a kid, I was like, that's fucking stupid. And especially the high kicks and all <laughs> yeah. like the, the, the extension it where made they're no like sense. looking for posture. And I was like, why am I only punching people in the chest? I feel like it might be more effective if I punch them in the nose. Well, it's it's because the point system, the point right. striking. And, and we're children. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, we did Shotokan and, uh, when I was a kid, and they legitimately punched us in the face. Yeah, no. It's a, yeah, yeah. They, they changed that. This was like the early 80s where like the dude legitimately used to beat us with sticks. <laughs> and like I remember telling my mom, and I've told this story. I'm like, Mom, they're hitting us with sticks. She's like, yeah, it's karate. You've fucking seen, seen it on TV. You watch those, you know, kung fu theater. They're beating the shit out of people. Fucking get to it. I remember my mom would drop us off to karate or taekwondo late. And even though it was her that dropped us off late, we still had to go do push-ups yeah. outside on the, on the sidewalk. On their knuckles. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's my mom's fault. They're like, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Get out of there. Um, the, the what Korean, was the question? The Koreans are usually fucking serious ball busters. Hardcore. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's TKD's Korean, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So usually like I, I had uh, the old dude that trained or the old Japanese dude that trained us was like from Japan. And uh, he was super old school. And uh, there was like, uh, it was all wooden floors. So we would do throws and slant, like Oof. everything. Like you'd have to kneel on these yeah. fucking wooden floors. Like it was, like I think about it like now and I'm like, fuck, there was no pads. <laughs> there was nothing. It was like a wooden floor. You got thrown, like you landed on the thing and you were like, fuck, this hurts. That's not flying in 2021. No. These kids, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even think we ever signed like a, a release. Waiver. Yeah, nothing. waivers, nothing. I just remember my mom paid cash and the dude used yeah. to beat us up. Oh, that's great. Um, but, but back to the black belt, you know, I had kind of like, Early on in jiu-jitsu, uh, when I was trying to, when I was doing a little bit of both, I was still doing gi jiu-jitsu, but I was still trained for fights. I started just taking the gi off more and more. And it's like, I'm just doing all no gi, just doing all no gi. This is not, the gi is not going to translate to mixed martial arts as much as a lot of people say, oh, it does. Not in my opinion. Um, so well, unless the dude's wearing a big sweatshirt, you get to choke him out with a big sweatshirt. Unless it's a real street fight and the guy's like wearing like a like a like a and sport coat or something, fucking pulling it yeah, around, you're just or choking him with him or throwing him. with it. Well, you yeah. see this thing's funny and like uh, I think it's like I forgot it was Korean Parliament or Japanese Parliament. But anyway, these guys like uh, they get in a fight like in the like like on the like the floor of like the whatever Asian yeah. Senate or something. And so they get in, like a fist fight, but they're not throwing punches. They're grabbing each other's lapels and trying to throw each other. Because they're all, they all came from like this judo background ah, yeah. and everything in judo was grabbing somebody's yeah. shirt and throwing them with it or choking them with it. Um, but yeah, anyway, I got out of the gi for a long time and, but I was still practicing jujitsu. So eventually my cousin was like, uh, black belt. I had been doing it for fucking 12 years. So, you know, it was time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So with, we, with training and identifying and thinking of your weaknesses, did you then seek out like a boxing or wrestling? 
All of it. Yeah, I uh, I found that's it, why I, it's called mix. Well, I don't understand mix that. fighting, but like I like uh, and, and we've seen this in the UFC where all of a sudden like a Ronda Rousey, for example, who's like a legit judo player, comes out and she's fucking tearing people up, and then Holly Holmes, who's a boxer, fucking just laces her with hands. Yeah. I mean, so it's almost like the guys at this point, and we I think we've talked about this. Like you have to have such a skilled uh, like exposure into like the fight game. You got to know judo. You got to know this. I mean, you got to know ground and pound. I mean, no longer the days of where like a dude like the Gracies can come in and just fucking do jujitsu. The you know? specialist guys, yeah, yeah, less and less of them. Um, which is kind of like I love seeing a specialist go in there and you know exactly what he's going to do and he's able to do it. Like uh, it so like, rarely uh, happens who, though. Who, who was it? Uh, well, uh, Damian Maya for a while. Uh, Muchada or. Um, um, no, the karate dude. Uh, oh, Machida. Yeah, Machida. Yeah, Machida. You yeah. know, he's going to just strike you and just like snipe you. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, Damien, though. You know, he's going to try to take you down and submit you right away. And there's still some of those guys like that, um, like a Ryan Hall or something. This guy's just got insane ground game, and no way can figure out how to knock it taken down by him. Like, he, he'll hook BJ Penn in the second. Um, but yeah, I was always seeking out trying to get the best of the best. So, uh, you know, my cousin's always been my jujitsu coach. He's top notch. He's still smashing me. I can't, I can't gain an inch on him, you know? Um, we had some really high level wrestlers come in like Penn state guys. Um, this guy from central Michigan, he's one of the last dudes in college to beat Jordan Burroughs. Jordan Burroughs, like a three-time Olympian. Um, my Muay Thai coach, you know, he lived in Thailand for a number of years, fought over there, you know, 20 some odd times, fought some of the best. His record is almost backwards in Muay Thai. I'm like, dude, why don't you fight like somebody easier? He goes, I just want to fight the best, man. I'm like, well, they keep beating you. you know? yeah, but that doesn't mean it doesn't like, I, no, but it's the experience yeah. and, you know, yeah. he, he, and excellent coach. Now he's, now he's in Houston. He's got his own school. And he's got some of the best talent in, in, in America right now. He's, a, he's the president of the United States Muay Thai Federation, which is cool because oh, I used to drink with him, you know, and um, boxing coach. You know, I trained with Ronnie Shields a little bit. Ronnie Shields is, you know, famously coached Tyson back in the day. He's got one of the Charlo brothers, um, coaches a bunch of top guys in Houston. And then I eventually ended up with the guy Bobby Benton, which um, when I first trained with him, he was training some big names. He's got um, Cedric Agnew and Regis Progre. Regis Progre is one of the bigger names right now at, I think, 140, was it 143? Um, I think he's like 21 and one, just lost his first fight. But I remember hitting pads with Bobby. We had the whole, like, how old are you? He was like, um, blah, blah, blah. I was like 30. No, I was 28 at the time, maybe. Where are you from? I was like, West Houston. He goes, what high school? Stratford. He goes, what year? And turns out he went to Stratford like a, several years before me, but grew up in the boxing game. This is main boxing gym in Houston. Lou Savarese. I mean, he had all the big names roll through this gym so yeah i was always seeking out the best guys for um for the coaching positions and i feel like that really put me in a position now to just be this well-rounded coach like who'd you train boxing with boom name you know muay thai boom this name i've always got like somebody i can revert back to it's called pedigree pedigree you gotta have the pedigree yes sir would you say wrestling is the best style that carries to the ufc i believe so yeah, yeah like uh no like, doubt about like usually it. guys that are high school wrestlers because yeah. uh those guys always you know like uh fucking like I remember the high school wrestler dudes that uh, at my high school, like they had space eaters, so they would put Just space eaters in, and then they would train in like full like uh, um, sweat. like sweats, yeah. and they, it was like 150 degrees in there. These kids were in there killing it, and like I remember there was uh, there was a big fight at my high school, and all I know is the fucking kids that were wrestlers who weren't that big were fucking smashing dudes, and a bunch of the football player guys I knew couldn't fight for shit. But I remember those wrestler dudes were fucking tough as nails. They're a different animal. And if you look at, just go down the weight classes in the UFC, yep. majority 
wrestlers. I mean, if you look at the, okay, heavyweight is Surrogain and, and, and Ganu, neither one, but um, Stipe Miocic came from wrestling, John Jones wrestling, John Jones light heavy champion. Daniel Cormier was yeah. light heavy and heavy wrestler. Um, who's 85 right now? Is Izzy Adesanya? So that's a little bit different, but Weidman was the champ. Yeah. Weidman wrestler, 70, Kamaru Usman wrestler. I mean, for the most part, that's the most, uh, those guys had the most success. Yeah. Is that now? Do you see the game changing in another decade? Uh, no, I still think it's going to be. I still think that's going to be the top thing. However, you're <clears throat> gone are the days of guys only being able to wrestle. Yeah. Right, like a Matt Hughes or something like that. They're just going to take you down and grind on you. That's not happening. Like a Usman, he could take you down and grind on you, but that guy can box from both stances, throw nasty straight, straight left, straight right. He's knocking dudes out. They just can't take him down. Yeah. Yeah. So no, you it's, gotta, it's not just the power you to gotta take have people down. Game. It's the power to stay on your feet when you want to. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, Wes Houston, I don't know. Did y'all have it at Katie? Y'all probably had it at Katie Taylor. Yeah. There's, yeah. Every time you say Wes Houston, all I hear is Will Smith being the West Philadelphia. Born, born and raised. raised. Yeah. Every time uh, you say it. Yeah, a little harder out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, have you ever been to West Philly? Uh, odds are. He's I mean, I, I don't I know museum and then St. Joe's for my cousins. Yeah, but. yeah, that whole uh, uh, strawberry mansion area and all that stuff. It was. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, North uh, Philly, West Philly. Was, no, no wrestling though. We're we're at Stratford. No I, wrestling. Dude, for I thought I remember schools. like a wrestling room way back. No, no? no, there was a room with wrestling mats in it. Yeah, and that's all I remember. Yeah, there was no wrestling though. There was no wrestling coaches. There was no wrestling team. There was no wrestling club. There was nothing. And that's the that was the overall the, like the the only uh, district I think like within Houston was uh, HISD. Oh So like shit. Lamar and like Westside and those schools like that had it. But you need to go find your next protege in the freaking HISD wrestling. I know, right, <laughs> dude, dude. Yeah, inner city. Yeah. Um, shit, man. Well, like where do, where do you seek? coaching and teaching expertise now do you um, continue to seek out the best for yourself to bring to your athletes i i need to um for myself i'd like to almost like continue an education right i've been training these guys for so long just off of everything that i know but i'm to the point now where i want to i need to go get with some of my coaches again just for a weekend just for a day just to kind of pick their brains again and kind of refresh myself with with what they're doing with their specific stylized training you know mine's the, mine's the whole gambit, the mixed martial arts. I just need to go back to my boxing coach and just work boxing for a day, but go back to my Muay, Muay Thai coach, do that kind of stuff and bring that back to my guys. And I do that occasionally. And it's always like, you know, like for me, I mean, it's fucking eye-opening. Um, but yeah, I think that's gonna be a big part of it. And I think with my guys, I mean, right now they're all amateurs, but because of, I think, our um, reputation and how well our team's doing, we went from like eight amateurs. And now we've got like, 15 amateurs and now we got three pros on the team just guys are kind of so many people are moving to austin anyway right yeah. um yeah, and so if they want to fight they kind of they're automatically coming to our it's like school. the rats are running onto the ship <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's it, it's happening yeah man well how do you now recommend strength conditioning weight training and all that based off your experience to your guys yeah that's a tough one that's tricky um it's so hard. okay so first of all with young amateurs, it's like 2021, 22, these guys are like, they're like driving pedicabs, they're doing DoorDash, they're Ubering, like they're not making any real money, you know? Yeah. So you can't, it's hard to pay for a real coach. Luckily, I had this connection in Houston where the guy did jujitsu with us. And, but he also had his, his own uh, facility where he was training like guys on the Texans, guys on the Dynamo, like real deal athletes. And I felt like, 
really cool walking into there, being able to have this really high level training. Now it's more like um, you got a friend who that's his thing. He trains. He got like this, you know, little garage area, and he's he's the expert, so to speak. You know, like knows more than me, but I don't know if I'm gonna put him in like with the people that I used to train with. So that's a tough one. Like I want them. Right now, I'm not dictating what kind of strength program they're doing, just that they have one. Yeah. Just that they're doing something that is uh, helping their strength, their mobility, their athleticism, their explosiveness. Um, I just want them to be doing something on the side, right? Sweet. Yeah. Well, you got old friends over here. Yeah. I know. That hey, can guide. You're people that knows people now. Yeah. Yeah. Put that together. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we have a. Slowly connecting the dots. John, how would you describe Grindstone? And how does that uh, apply to the mixed martial arts? Uh, we've used Grindstone pretty successfully. Uh, something like Field Strong, like you think about athletic development. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest hole for most of these guys is they're just not strong. Yeah. Like uh, they just need to be stronger in different positions. And so I think people get too idea like in this uh, sports-specific training that they need to do a bunch of shit like you see on YouTube with speed ladders and jumping around and sure. doing all that. And I think like at some point there's like a athletic training style, but I think for most of these guys, if they just lifted weights yeah. and they lifted weights well and they challenged different movements, bilateral, unilateral, and just did a little bit of pulling, a little bit of pushing. And like, and then at the end of the day, if they got stronger and then we're developing a lot of their athleticism and skill within the fight prep, like within like their boxing and movement, I, like, I remember, uh, I'd never felt like I got better in boxing in the ring. It was all the little bullshit we did. Sure. Like all the mitts and the movement and this and like all the technical it's stuff. It's not sparring. It's in yeah. those, the fucking yeah. drill it of drill it of and, drill. And yeah. like, I mean, just like the hours of fucking just focus mitts and the swinging bags. And right. Just everything we did and just learning to, to move and react. And, you know, like we would even do something more like a guy would move and you would move. And you just kind of yeah. do these like little dances to the point where you're like, oh, now I understand. Sure. No, I mean, and if you look at like a Canelo training video. Yeah. He's got his coach right there and then they're hitting him. He's doing a three punch combo and they yeah. do that 50, 100 times, whatever it is. It's, 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 it's simple. It's automatic. It's repetition. Yeah. Right. It's automatic. Yeah. And I, I think for a lot of these guys, like uh, everybody wants like they see like the, you know, what the top guy is doing. Like, oh, I got to do that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like for what you need is there needs to be a progression. Like I just need you to get stronger with these basic movements. And once you master that, you get to this, then you unlock another course. It's just like a video game. Once you yeah. get through the first level, you unlock the second. And then we kind of progress people along. Everybody wants to start at level 99 at Mario Brothers. And I'm like, dude, you got to get through the whole beginning to develop yeah. your skills to get you to go kill the fucking giants. Well, people see people see Floyd Mayweather doing um, doing pads with with his uncle, like with Roger, and it's, it's but uh, but they've been doing that. Yeah, no, no, and you're like, and people want to do fancy pads, and you're like, no, you need to throw a jab in the heavy bag a hundred times. First of all, they're doing the pads purely for the media and the gram. Oh yeah, and on top of it, those guys are so smart that the shit that they're showing isn't the shit that they're doing. No, yeah, uh, like and, and on top of it, I mean uh, Mayweather's in his 40s he's been professionally fighting for over fuck it's like what 20 20 plus years yeah and uh his dad was a fighter well, well was his, fighter, his yeah. dad was a fighter i mean his dad trained him and then the dad left and was he was coaching uh oscar de la hoya and yeah. the uncle stepped in and then the dad came back and they've all like they have generations of this fucking skill right. he's been doing since he's a little kid you think that this is what he's fucking doing man i mean so it's it's really hard with uh with young cats because they see the cool shit they see the the spin kicks the flying knees and i'm like guys those are what's low percentage uh, high risk moves um, what's his name uh mo um the guy that hit the dude with the knee with the fucking ponytail oh masvidal yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, he gets that one shot, right. and next thing, they, the WWE's out there got him yeah. doing the fucking move. I, I was like, dude, he 
He literally had one fucking opening, yeah. did it, and caught that dude. I mean, I've got one of my most uh, talented guys. He's um, a light heavyweight. He just had his fight. This guy can box. He can wrestle. He can do it all, right? And he's got this one guy. He This is his second mixed martial arts fight. He's got this guy guessing, just flinching on every little feint that he throws, right, with his boxing. And then, instead of just eating him up with the hands, he throws a spinning sidekick. And he gets punched in the back of the head. Gets his back taken and gets choked out. Oh, and I'm like, man. how many times do we do a spinning sidekick in our warm-up? How many, t- how many successful spinning sidekicks are you landing and sparring? You're not. We're not even you drilling. You need more, coach. Come on, no. dude. Dude. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things is Henry Hooft. He's a top coach. I've actually... He coached Vitor well, for a while. I everybody co- saw that video, and I, can't, I forgot who it was, where the dude basically knocked that dude out with the spinning back knuckle. Oh, okay. Uh, like, I've, like I'll, I'll find it, dude. Yeah. I, I can't remember who the fighter was, but the dude basically goes in there, and he like throws the shoulder, and the dude like moves to the other, and then he fucking basically takes a step and then catches the dude with the spinning back knuckle and knocks him unconscious. I feel like, first of all, that type of shit never works. The guy got one fucking deal, did it for the gram, got this guy yeah. with some spinning back knuckle, and now everybody wants to do like a, a fucking heel kick and all this other shit. I mean, shit. it fucking happens, right? Like um, Edwin, Ed, uh, Ed, Edson Barboza has one of the most you know talked about spinning, spinning wheel kicks in the UFC. Boom, KO. Paul Felder spinning back fist KO. Those are few and far between. Look at the majority of finishes. It's coming from like a straight right, a left hook, kick, or something like that, taking down submission. The, so back to uh, Henry Hooft, coach at Sanford MMA. That's like one of the top places right now to train is over in South Florida. It's got almost every single big name down there. And his whole mythology is keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, straight straight punches, keep it simple. And um, so that's kind of something I'm trying to impart on my guys. I'm like, guys, drill what works more. Don't, don't get caught up. Well, the in basics are called looks- the basics because they're the basics. <laughs> and the problem is, is that the minute that you forget to do the basics, then you get fucking annihilated. Yeah. I it- mean, there's a reason why uh, boxers do road work. They jump rope. I mean, there's there's always these things like they're, you know, like watching the, I mean, dude, you can tell, um, not that it's a great indicator of uh, a fight skill, but when you see a boxer fucking make the heavy bag or uh, uh, the speed bag sing, it's not like, oh, he's a good boxer because he can make it sing. He's done the amount of fucking time and warm up and prep work. He's given himself enough opportunity to be able to make that motherfucker look great. I mean, yeah. it, it's just like speed ladders, right? Like, there's I, I I love watching videos of dudes on the on the speed bag and they're doing all these fucking crazy. Like, none of them are big time boxers, sure. but when you see a big time boxer that's pretty good on it, you know he's just had enough opportunity to do it. Yeah, he he's he's covered. He's done all of his other work. Yeah, and now he gets to fuck around the speed bag a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two questions. First, like. Um, Think of the Matrix and Batman Begins uh-huh. when the freaking young Gohard meets the master and they just put one or two moves to put him down. Is there any times where a kid just won't listen and you got to show him the power of the basics? Very often, yes. <laughs> so you step in and just put him down? Well, no, I mean, like, okay, so it's not so much. Um, yeah, actually, this is a good good example. Just the other week, um, a sparring, it was my boxing class, right? And this guy... Uh, He's a younger guy. He's way smaller, so you definitely can't hit these guys in the head. But he's sitting there trying to go hands down and do some bullshit. And I'm just like, I don't say anything to him, but I, I, I start shell. calling him Prince. No, I hit him with the liver shot and put him, <laughs> and, and then and I have him take a knee. You know, not have him, but Listen, he had to take a knee. <laughs> and then, if your hands are at your side, you can at least block the liver <laughs> shot because you got to get that thing right. Well, you, you got to bring the hands up. You got to throw some to the head and then come down yeah. low, right? And uh, after you know, after class, I go man. 
cut that bullshit out. You should have just been jabbing at me. One, two, one, two, three, double jab cross, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, the guys are, they recognize the error of their way once that happens. I'm like, liver shots, it's just a left hook low, right? That's a simple shot. Or same thing, uh, guys get a little fancy to do a spin kick. I'll take their back, take them down or, you know, whatever it is. But yes, I'm constantly doing that. Kind of like, you have like the gym enforcer, like the teacher all at the same time. Yeah. And then when was your, like when the student is ready, the master appears moment. Um, was there some moment in that first two questions. years? These are Did you? Questions. For once, you finally brought some good questions. I know. After because I've known Andrew for yeah. after carrying you all these years, you're yeah. giving me some good stuff. Uh, more than th- fuck, man. Not even thirty years, but a long time. But then, what was that moment that you gave in to the master, whoever that that was? You mean for me? Yeah, as as the athlete. Um, that's a good question. Because I feel like all my all my teachers have always like I still hold them in like very high regard. You know what I mean? Like like I just said, like my 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 cousin in jujitsu, I still can't touch him. Any any wrestling coach, like I, I might get like something on these guys, but I'm not I'm not excelling or I'm not like I'm not beating them, which always leaves me hungry. Which always leaves me like there's still room to improve. They still know more than me. I've still I'm still not there yet. I might be the master of my guys. But my guys are still above my the ones that taught me are still above me. Are are you doing your boxing with uh, the the little eight pound or eight ounces? Or are you wearing like bigger gloves? Um, for most all of our kickboxing sparring, we use uh, sixteen ounce gloves. But so then gloves. we have other just mixed martial arts spar days where we use small gloves. And now UFC uses like four ounce gloves, yeah. but we use what we call and for, and they have no thumb protection. We use what we call puffies. They're like eight yeah. ounce with a thumb protector. Yeah, no, I. Um, and you uh, have to you have to spar in those. You have to get used to, to the, the smaller hits. glove because um, it's too easy with bigger gloves to just shell. Right yeah. now with little gloves, you can't shell. All those chops are going to get through just around the glove. So you have to do more, much more head movement, much more parrying, uh, a little more evasive. Whereas in boxing, kickboxing, you kind of just step in and like let's go. Whereas mixed martial arts, the distance is far different. So you have to get used to that part of it too. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so you fight in all different types of gloves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Got to get guys used to it. Sweet. All right, last question. What are some name drops of some dudes that we could look for and get excited about, get get behind them? Oh, shit. He's been name dropping people constantly. Well, his young guys. Oh, oh man. Young guys. My young guys, I don't have any just yet that y'all are going to be seeing anytime soon. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be posting about them, like making a big deal about on my stuff. What's your, what's your Instagram? Let me uh, it's read a, it off for the people because I'm gonna follow you right now. Andy B. Craig. Nobody Andy. calls me. Actually, people that don't know me call me Andy. Andy B. Craig. Yeah, I was. I don't know why I did it like that. I think Andrew B. Craig was taken. Andrew Craig was taken. The Andrew Craig was taken. All that kind uh, of stuff. Dude, highlight. Second question. Should have. Should have. When? Yeah. When? What was the origin of the highlight? That's a funny story too, because that was high school. That was just scout team football. That was just <laughs> that was just me fucking running the rock like thirty times at practice every day, you know, and just uh, well, yeah, Stratford's LSU offense, right? Yeah, not having uh, exceptional speed, but having great balance, to where I just kind of like pinballed on, off a bunch of people and occasionally just made it to the end, right? Ah. Yeah. Uh, some people, uh, you know, Kilgore. Yeah, Kilgore would joke say. Um, uh, what, what the fuck would he say? Was he really, was a funny guy. It was really it's, rude. Yeah, something about always, always being in slow mo or something. <laughs> I don't know what a dick. <laughs> um, actually, so I, I coming back to one thing that you were talking about as far as um the strength training with these guys, it, mixed martial arts is interesting. A lot of these guys came from never playing sports before. Wow, you know, like they don't. We came from playing every single sport, so I'm used to lifting weights. I'm used to that sort of like I'm used to like having that part of practice. Sure, a lot of these guys they just like. 
they jumped in jujitsu at like 20 years old and that's all they've ever known. So doing the whole like, like lifting and squatting and shit like that is all kind of brand new for them. So you see a lot of these, uh, these, a lot of these guys' bodies are morphing more than, more than a lot of the guys. Cause this, you know, a brand new, yeah. unadapted, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, amateurs for like the, of the truest sense. Yeah. It's killer, man. Well, it's awesome, dude. Dude, thanks so much for coming on and fucking uh, chopping it up. And yeah, I really appreciate your uh, the fact that you're a student of the game and have you gone and like you know done all these different disciplines and you know who people are and like have an opinion about it. It's it's cool, man. I, I dude, I could love talk like I love talking uh, fighting and boxing. It's, yeah, no, we we nerded yeah. out for a while there. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I, it's really it's people are probably gonna listen to this. Be like, John got so excited. I'm like, <laughs> I, it's because like I don't get really excited about watching football. Yeah, uh, you know, I did it. I like I watch it with my kids because I want them to be exposed to it. My wife and I will talk about it because she's a big football fan. Or I'll go through and I'll watch. Like uh, we were, um, uh, who? What was the Monday night? Oh, Dallas. Yeah. So uh, it's really funny now that Dallas is running the West Coast offense because uh, their head coach McCarthy, you know, Green Bay, Mike Holmgren, Andy Reid. So he's basically running the offense that I played for at the Eagles. So I'm watching their offense. They're basically running like sprint right option, inside outside zone. And like I'm looking at the sets and I'm calling the plays. And my wife's like, I'm like, oh, they're running. This is the offense I fucking grew up in. So it's uh, it's not that exciting. But like I love boxing nice. and, uh, and the UFC stuff. I'm just so uh, – it's because you get to see like you get to see such different athletes from different walks of life that have like put together like a different package. Like this guy came from here. This guy came from here. This is what his fight skill is. The, like everybody's creating their own. Like it, it, it's like going to like a like, like restaurants where everybody has their own flavor, and this is how they're doing it. And then they get a chance to get on Iron Chef and fucking compete, and we get to see who's who put the the best recipe together. And then sometimes it doesn't fucking matter because the guy gets lucky with a spinning back knuckle. Yeah. And so uh, the only thing which kind of bums me as an athlete is realizing that these guys aren't being paid accordingly with what the ticket like the amount of money that these fucking uh, uh the gates bringing in with the pay-per-view and all this other stuff and these dudes are getting just like here's a, a crumb did, did you see that breakdown of the revenue share between all of them like i think yes no. it was like 16 Dude. and, and bellator is uh, 30 something and then mlb nba yeah. nfl are all around 50 yeah so i mean because it's collectively bargained and because there's a, a union and there's a lot of stuff i mean the players have fought for this and the problem is, is because Dana White's never let, uh, you know, any type of unionization of the people, I mean, come through. I mean, they basically have fucking smashed it because it's like, uh, you know, hey, if, 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 like, there's nobody that has a big, or the only person that's been a big enough star has been McGregor. And they've, he's the only guy I, I've seen that actually gets a percentage of the pay-per-view in the gate. Yeah. And, uh, and they cut that deal with him because he was such a big draw. I mean, he knows that if he's on the card, it's exponential. And then he was able to cut that deal. They, they just have to go negotiate with that one dude. Right. It's not like they got to negotiate with all these guys. Um, and, and if you cause fucking trouble, they fucking boot you out. Quick comment on the NFL TV rights. So how the, the CBA, the players get share ratings from Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, ESPN. But then NFL Network, NFL owns it. Yeah. So now the Red Zone, I'm a big Red Zone fan. Oh, that's why. So, so viewers... They're not like I'm not watching Fox anymore. Well, so now they're not getting a cut of here's my view. Conspiracy. Oh, Here, here's the conspiracy that eventually the NFL will get to the point because the TV deal is how players get played. So the TV deal gets put together and all of the salary cap is paid by the TV deal. So the the the, the teams pay no money. So like, hey, if the salary cap is like you know forty million a team, it's over that that money is paid by the uh, by the networks. So my thought 
is that eventually what the NFL will do, will start two or three channels and basically pull all the game viewing into their own NFL channels well, and then basically cut out the TV deal and then force the players to negotiate in a different in way. In line with that, what Fox did, because uh, Red Zone, you can see the clock ticker and imagine Fox bottom screen score and time. They lowered the score and the game clock to the bottom. So now Red Zone ticker cuts it off. So they're trying to lure people back to Fox so they can see the bottom line. Time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Sneaky. dude, it's it's uh, it's it's dirty pool. But uh, like the one thing the players have got uh, a, a, like a healthy chunk. Like, I mean, you know, they're not ma- like they're not making the money the owners are, but that's fine. The problem I have is when dudes are making 10, 15 grand and they're pulling in 30, 40, 50 million on a fight. Yeah. Like uh, it just. And, uh, you know, Dana White just fucking laughs his way to the bank. Doesn't, that doesn't drive. No. Yeah. And uh, Jake Paul and those guys calling him out on it and other people calling him out on it. And he's like, fuck off. It's my playground. You guys ain't going to play unless you do it by Man, my rules. I love uh, – say what you will about Jake Paul. He's bringing a lot of light to the fighter yeah. pay issue, which I respect. Yeah. And and you know what? Like I uh, – um, for whatever their YouTube – I mean, dude, the fact that he walked in there. Now they're cherry picking fights. Sure. I mean, he's not fighting legitimate boxers. His older brother fucking fought Floyd. Come on. Yeah. I mean, who's who's making that happen? Yeah, dude. These guys uh, are crazy. Yeah, like good for those dudes yeah. for for seizing the opportunity. One thing I appreciate though is uh, they they come out looking the part, minus all the stupid tattoos, but they legitimately have trained and they they're out there skilled fighters. Jake Paul can box. Yeah, he yeah. can box. I mean, I, I don't really care for all of his fucking antics, no. but at the end of the day, the dude can box and is a fighter. He's yeah. just not somebody that puts on gloves. No doubt. But I do like them calling out Dana White and fucking talking shit on uh, on on the fact that there's this fucking, basically, they're stealing from the fighters, dude. Yeah. They, they need to be offering more money. These guys need to be making more. And uh, I like have, a, like, like I'm always conflicted where I know what the pay-per-view gate is and I want to watch the fight, but I also have a hard time contributing to fucking uh, something that I know is not benefiting the athletes. Yeah, you're like paying like the uh, Aubrey one time compared it to who's like, um, we were thinking about sponsoring like uh, something with like the UFC PI. And he was like, why would we sponsor the UFC instead of a fighter? Okay. That's, that's like paying the emperor. Yeah. You know, we, well, that's like paying the dark side. We don't it's, do that. It, it's why for a lot of the fights, like I'll, uh, I know they're going on and I'll wait the next day to watch all the clips and rewatch the fights because I've like, it's like I just can't yeah. fucking pay in because I know that that money now if they said hey you know what these guys are getting a percentage of the gates uh, if the guy wins he's getting paid X and they were more transparent then I would have no problem paying in uh, you know whereas in boxing I got no problem paying the money because I know that the that those guys have, have legitimately negotiated pieces of the game right. and the pay-per-view but the UFC is just I love it, but it fucking leaves bad taste in my mouth because yeah. there's the player or the the fighters I feel are getting the fucking short end. Something's got to give. I mean, there's way too many class action lawsuits with some big people behind them that eventually something's got to land. Well, it will. Yeah. Uh, they, I like. It's kind of like uh, the Redskins, for example. You remember the owner will never change the fucking name, and then they change the name. So things had to get so bad that they were more worried about like the negative implications. It's like the NFL. They never wanted to have a collective bargain. They never wanted to have a union. But they get to the point where they're like, we're not going to have a business or we're going to be viewed as such fucking bad people that our press doesn't allow us this. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know how you – like, one, you can't shame Dana White. 
I mean, that dude's like fucking Teflon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like uh, everywhere that guy goes, somebody probably tries to fight him. I mean, Dana White's like legitimate Teflon and you're never going to fuck with him. I mean, he's a professional shit talker. He's yeah. the best there is. Nobody's going to hurt that dude. He walks around with like a, like a squad, like five seals. He's all juice up on TRT. He's worth, you know, half a billion. He's not bothered by whatever no, he, you say. He, yeah. uh, uh, so Jesse James is our neighbor over there. And, um, uh, he flew in on his private jet and came in and like basically paid Jesse in cash to build him some insane chopper and build him a matching bunch of pistols. And I think Jesse's fucking bikes probably start. I mean, yeah, like I know what Jesse's the, the pistols he ordered, what they start at. Yeah. And I know what the bikes start at. And he just basically like, Hey, what it cost? Somebody walked behind him, wrote the check and they yeah. walked away. It was just Jump, jumped in the line in his of his wait list. Yeah. Like uh, Jesse has a wait. Uh, well, I'm, it's kind of like, uh, I'm sure Jesse has a hell of a wait list of people that want to get shit. And then all of a sudden, you know, when he flies in, Dale right. White flies in on a private jet, there is no wait list. But he said, I, I guess he was like, sounds great. And, and I guess Dana White just walked away and the other guy walked behind him and just handed him the, you know, the check and Jesse wrote the number in and that calls when it's done. <laughs> Writes it himself. I yeah. like that. Yeah. That's a good move. Didn't even ask what it costs. Hey, I want this and I want it, you know, okay. And then he yeah. just walked away and there's some little fucking pencil pusher walked over with a check and just fill in the numbers you need. Incredible. So yeah. I like that's the money, which uh, good on him for it, but I have a hard time as being uh, an athlete and a player and seeing that whole deal. Like I think that the pay that the the fighters and the athletes should be paid accordingly. With you know, it's it's. Uh, um, I remember I did an interview one time, and uh, I, I used to just try to stay all this fucking clandestine weird shit to the to the news, just to try to fuck with them. But they asked me, they're like, "What what do you think when you walk out on the field?" And I'm like, before every game, I I actually say to myself, "Ave Caesar, morituri te salutant." Was that uh, Latin for "Hail Caesar"? Those of us about to die salute you, which is what the gladiators would say uh, when they were in the in um, uh, the Colosseum. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I fucking said that. These dudes' heads fucking exploded. <laughs> it's probably the first time they'd ever heard an NFL offensive lineman basically rattle off something in Latin right, right. and have something that's that esoteric. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, that was like a big deal for them. So, but like at the end of the day, it's true. I mean, you're going out there. Those of us about to die salute you. Like fucking pay the people for what they're worth. Let them take care of their families. Like they're making the deal, pay them what they're worth. And if, if nobody was doing pay-per-view and the gate was 20 grand, then I get it. But if when you're making fucking tens of millions of dollars and you're running these every other week, like pay the players. When you're a professional athlete working for a billion dollar company, you shouldn't have to have a second job. Yeah. hundred percent. Like uh, in the NFL before we collectively bargained, dudes used to drive beer trucks and yeah. had a second job, sell insurance because they couldn't pay the bills. And like, are you really a professional athlete right. if it doesn't pay your bills? Well, professional lacrosse. It's those guys are working Wall Street during the week, really? and then getting flying out to play in the well, games. Well, they're not really. It's not really professional, <laughs> man. Uh, but like, uh, uh, I will say, uh, I watched clips of the guy. We uh, what was his name? We had on Marcus Holman. I don't know shit about the cross, but all I know is that he's kid, an athlete, dude. dude that kid it's was fine. that kid was out there making other people look stupid. Like I yeah. like like I don't have to be knowledgeable about the sport. But I'm knowledgeable about enough about sport and movement to yeah. realize when somebody else is doing other shit that other people can't do, and that kid can do a lot of shit. Yeah, you reference different levels. Like he's that top tier level, and then there's everybody else that are still the best in the world. Yeah. So it's oh, it's dude, I used else. to see it, and people, who's the best player you played against? I'm like every the it was the next guy. <laughs> every week it'd be like, oh, this guy made the Pro Bowl. This guy's all pro. This guy's future Hall of Fame. And, you know, like every fucking week you have the best in the world, which is like in the fight game. Oh, like, like there aren't any fishes anymore. There, There isn't any gimmies. It's not like boxing yeah. where you can go to fucking Atlantic City and fight some fucking schlub from, you know, from somewhere. Like every time you show up, like the best in the world are fighting for that job. It's just and all the, sharks. Which, which is what you want. 
you know, it, it's what I wanted in the NFL. Like, uh, and I talked about earlier on the podcast being a fan of like humanity. I want to see the best in the world on the biggest stage have like their greatest performance and stand with their hand up in victory. And yeah. like, I can fucking get behind that. And I'm a fan of that. Like, I want to see, I'm not kidding you. I want to see Fury fucking knock out Wilder and like fucking put his hands up and be the champ. And if Wilder fucking smashes him, I'm going to be just as excited. Yeah. No, I feel like uh, there's a certain level of uh, legitimization. Like I feel, I feel better. Like I knew I was a good fighter, but it, I wanted to be in there with the best to really feel what that felt like. Am I that good as, am I as good as I think I am? Yeah. And which is a question that everybody should ask themselves. And yeah. if you're not asking yourself that you got to go out and find, I mean, it's really, uh, it's really the foundation of Fight Club. I mean, like that movie, and I'm sure you've seen it, and people over-reference it to the point where I go, I want to throw up. But it, it was it was legitimately like, what do you know about yourself yeah. unless you've been tested? Yep. And I think, uh, you know, that spurred a, a lot of questions in people's minds. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can create all these illusions. But at the moment you're by yourself for that 10 minutes before you walk up there, that's when you're most honest. And then there's a lot of people that are like, I haven't done the work. Yeah. I shouldn't be here. This is going to go poorly. <laughs> Which is what you don't want to, and but in life that shit happens. Yeah, people do it in marriages. They do it in work. They do it. They they're they're hoping to show up and just fucking hide, and unfortunately, there's nowhere to hide in these environments. So, yeah. dude. Uh, final question: Do you like being in the corner for people? I love that. Yes. Uh, Cut me, Mick. Cut it's me, Mick. Almost. It's almost. It's almost all the thrill with almost none of the pressure. And how many days after a fight were you sore? Uh, depending on how the fight went, but usually it felt like you're in, I've never been like a car wreck, but like, you're just fucking like sore all over. Like what happened to me? I don't know. And it's a lot of time it's both getting hit, but I think it's like how tense your body gets at certain times. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So there was this old, um, when we were kids. So we, uh, I grew up watching boxing. That was like our favorite thing. But I remember there was, uh, there was a Mexican boxer and, uh, his ring man or one of the dudes in his ring used to tape pictures of the dude's kids on his bald head. So when he went in, he had like a crown of all the kids' pictures, all these kids' faces on his head. And I always remember being like, they need to bring that back. You need to like tape people on your head when you go in. Like that's, uh, like if you looked it up, I'm sure we could find, I can't remember who the boxer might have been. It's going to take me too long. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was a Mexican boxer. I, like uh, it wasn't, um, uh, fuck man. It, um, I I'll, I'll while you're up. thinking, final, final, final question. Yeah. Walkout song. What'd you go with? All right. Did it change? It changed. I had a lot of good ones, man. First one, Give It Away, Chili Peppers. I did um, I did Paint It Black. I've done Purple Haze. I've done Ram Jam, Black Betty. I did uh, I did uh, Even You, Brutus. It was a new, newer Chili Peppers. I've done... That was like one of my favorite things was picking and walkout songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's fucking awesome. I even did a D ant word one, which uh, didn't go over that well, but it was, I thought it was cool at the time. Um, shoot. What are some other ones? Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Chili Peppers. I did uh, the song by the heavy. What makes a good man. That was a cool one. I had a lot of good ones. Yeah. I liked that a lot. My, my least favorite experience with the walkout song was I fought in Manchester and I came out to uh, Painted Black by Rolling Stones. I was like, that's going to be a it's gonna be a big hit with the, with the Manchester audience. And I came out to it and then um, people liked it, you know. But then I'm waiting in the cage and then I'm fighting a dude from Manchester. And that's one of the worst parts. It's not right before you walk out to the fight. It's when, you're, when you walk out first and you're waiting in the cage and have to listen to the other guy's music and him walk out while it's just dark in there and you're by yourself just like pacing. And he came out to come together by the Beatles mm -hmm. and the whole fucking place went nuts. 
and I've never felt so small. Uh, <laughs> what? Well, who do? They, who, how do they decide who walks out first? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's like, his he, home crowd. I was, uh, I was, I was coming off of a win, so I thought that it would be me. But I guess because he was the hometown home, guy, yeah. he came out. Yes, yeah, yeah, usually the hometown guy is going to yeah. come out, and even if he's the, the champ, he's still going to have the hometown guy. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, dude. Thanks You're for welcome, coming man. Thanks for having me. That was a blast. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I did, I, yeah I'm, I'm glad Tex waited this long to let us know that you had friends. Well, here's <laughs> here's a shout out. Two hours and eight minutes in, my stepsister helped align this. So oh, shout nice. out to yeah, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Awesome. And she's not going to listen all the way to the end to get her thanks. But hey, thanks, <laughs> Just Sarah. tell her. Uh, yeah, be like, we end. thank you. Yeah. Two, yeah. 208. So, well, dude. Uh, so, yeah, you already dropped us your Instagram. So if people want to get a hold of you, they can reach out. Yeah, reach out and, there. Uh, come yeah. see me. Come train. Yeah, I'm yeah, around. Yeah, awesome. Sweet. Cool. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Video. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Andrew Craig on Instagram at Andy B. Craig. Until next time, uh, bye.